I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We are live on YouTube, and of course, we are previewing week four of the NFL. We'll go game by game. One thing to remind everybody, you have to check out the Wednesday podcast, either if you're watching on YouTube or if you're listening, because that's when we preview Thursday Night Football. We already have the preview in the books. Mike Ryan Ruiz from uh, Dan Lebitard Show. We previewed Bengals-Dolphins, tonight's matchup. And um, it's just an overall fun show, so check out Wednesdays. Hi, Sam. What's up, Steve? How you doing? Did you get the tweet out there that we're live? I just tweeted it right now on awesome. your instructions. Yes. Perfect. It's I tried to make the intro there. long enough that you, that you could craft the tweet. That's well done. All right. So um, we've already discussed Bengals-Dolphins. I picked the Bengals. You did. Um, the line's three and a half now. I'll take that. I'll take three and a half. No, you can't. It's locked yeah. in a four. I'll take three no. and a half. No, because that way you're screwing our guest if you start changing after the fact. No, All you're right. locked in a four. I'm locked in at four the other way. So Good it's job. moving in my direction. So you got the Dolphins yeah. as underdogs here. Thursday night football. We'll see how that one plays out. But let's get right in to the week four games. A couple, couple of really nice games at the top. So let's start with Chiefs-Bucks. It's uh, Sunday night football. As of right now, it's still supposed to be in Tampa Bay, right? Yep. There's a backup plan for Minnesota, which is not Minnesota? really right down the street. Yes. I thought there was one in Miami. How did it get moved to Minnesota? Well, I know the Bucks are practicing in Miami, but yeah. I thought that I, I read somewhere that the backup plan was Minnesota. You might be entirely right. I just I'd only heard Miami, and Minnesota is quite a departure from Miami and indeed Tampa. So this line has moved a little bit, but as uh, Eric Eager, rest in peace, he's out today. He reminded us that everything between people are just dying left and right. The, 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 the late Austin Gale, rest in peace, Eric yeah. Eager. They're wow. dead to PFF. Yeah, that's okay. what we do. It's fine. Yeah, we, we his locker, like we cleared out his locker. This was. That was his locker. Oh, that one. That was there. it. Yeah. Okay. We cleared it out through an old Dolphins jersey in it. Oh, yeah. So we did. have done a great job of clearing it out. It seems to have got stuff in it. Uh, anyway, he always says, you know, those lines in between plus three, minus three don't mean a whole lot. But the Chiefs were favored early in the week by one or two points. Now it's Bucks by one heading into this Sunday night matchup. little rematch of the Super Bowl from 2020. Yep. We got Brady Mahomes, what, uh, six? I think it's the sixth time that they've gone head-to-head in a matchup here which is quite a lot when you consider brady's 127 years old and and we were like oh maybe we're gonna get one or two of these it is i mean it's it's fun for like the narrative street type of stuff because remember we said with the super bowl mahomes was going for back to back he was going for his second in three years as a starter at the Mm -hmm. time and brady had six and it was like all right if mahomes is ever gonna you know chase the goat kind of got to win the super bowl and do this thing and then brady's like no i'll take seven and uh you're still playing catch up pat but you know Still well, even, a long way to go. even just like since Mahomes came in the league, we're tied. Yeah. You know? I mean, well, since Mahomes came into the league, Brady's got two Super Bowls. Yeah. And Mahomes has one. Well, he's, you're right. He's yeah. ahead. So that's when, you know, 15 years from now, when we're like, hey, is Patrick Mahomes the greatest of all time? You're going to go back to like the era when these two guys were both playing together and Brady was, you know, like collecting <laughs> Social Security and still winning games and Super Bowls and the whole thing. Brady's, yeah, the Super Bowl, the run that Brady's on, the, the rings, it's just. 
it's set a completely unreasonable bar for anybody trying to chase. So, of course, uh, people are questioning Tom Brady once again. He's 45. The stats don't look great, but they've played behind. They played with no wide receivers. Their top three were out last week. And their offensive Looks, line has been in ribbons. Like, down, yeah. they're another of these teams that are down to th- at least their third string left tackle. Um, now, to be fair, their third string left tackle might be better than their second string left tackle. So they went downgrade and then upgrade potentially. But Brady. Brandon, Brandon Walton filling in uh, admirably so far for the Bucs. Yeah. This is, and their second string center. Um, they're starting a rookie at left guard. So this is three fifths of the offensive line is down on where it was a year ago and should be generally. Brady is the least pressured quarterback in the NFL this season. And that is not necessarily an indication of how good that offensive line is performing. That's an indication of Brady, once again, having as quick an average time to throw as any quarterback in the NFL. Um, it, it really is. 2.2 seconds, so quickest in the NFL. But, you know, this Bucks offense, the it's still the Bruce Arians scheme, which wants to go down the field. You don't really have the receivers to go downfield. Brady has played well in this system since – showing up in 2020 um so they need julio jones back reportedly todd bowles now now julio was limited at practice on wednesday mm-hmm. supposedly todd bowles says hey he would have played last week right if he, if, if um he could have <laughs> played we're just going to give him an extra week we don't want him to get re-injured we're going to play the long game here the question is always with julio now that he's injured again okay even when he's playing what does that look like like if he's playing and he looks like the guy from week one now we've got something to work with if he's playing and it looks like the guy that plays through injuries and just doesn't look like himself. I mean, it's not that much better than just not having him out there, you know? Well, the backups. <laughs> the other yeah. options are Jalen Darden and Scotty Miller and Brashad. This is true. It is it's another better. It's another mash unit this week, though, because if you're just looking at the injury report, Brashad Perryman, Russell Gage, Julio Jones, Chris Godwin, all technically questionable, all limited uh, at practice. Perryman actually didn't practice. So still don't really know who's going to be out there. Mike Evans should be back, though. He's coming back from the suspension. Yep. I have a feeling it's going to be Mike Evans early and often in this game. Uh, Brady trying to get him back in the mix. And just from a trust factor, you know, he's he's the guy. There's no real tight ends that they trust. I, I, the Bucks need to get healthy at wide receiver if they're going to do any damage here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think Brady's numbers are not good, but I think Brady has actually been playing reasonably well so far this season, particularly when you factor in everything around him which is the man's offensive line is nowhere near what it was a year ago and he's been throwing to nobody at wide receiver for a decent chunk of this season so far um hopefully at least one of those things is going to improve somewhat in this game and then we get to see a little bit more what brady can actually do and then the other element of this obviously is the other side of the ball where tampa bay's defense looks very good and they're going up against mahomes and the chiefs which is obviously a stern test for any defense Mahomes so far this season had that game week one where the offense was cooking against the Arizona Cardinals five touchdowns 360 yards uh, wide open receivers left and right Mahomes making good decisions throwing the ball around and spreading it around then the Chargers game Mahomes gets away with three turnover worthy plays didn't matter they all fell incomplete Chiefs come back win the game with a pick six late against the Chargers and then last week this was one of those weird games where the Chiefs felt like they should have had the advantage against this Colts defense, it, but it was reminiscent of last year, not necessarily schematically, but just from, a, you know, where the big plays, where, you know, Mahomes' best throw gets dropped by Travis Kelsey in the end zone that would have been a touchdown. And I, I don't think the Chiefs, again, we said on the Monday show, 
nothing against the Colts, but I think the Chiefs lost this game. I think yeah. they actively lost this game with about six or seven huge mistakes. But Mahomes was holding the ball a long time in the pocket. This was the game when you said, or when I, I thought, when you lost Tyreek Hill and you're still trying to figure out who's my next guy, who's, you know, who's my go-to guy, who am I going to in crunch time beyond Travis Kelsey, this was one of those games I kind of envisioned with Mahomes without Tyreek Hill. And the first two weeks, it was like, oh, maybe they're fine. Mm. Maybe they'll be okay. But this one, I think for the first time, brought up some of those question marks. Yeah, I mean, so there's obviously the the controversy with where PFF grades had Mahomes versus what his box score numbers or his overall production or the eye test says. But even if we, if we look at zoom out a bit um, and kind of look at the, the last year plus of Mahomes, it hasn't been as spectacular as it was, you know, right at the, not even right at the start. For a sustained, what, three-year stretch, Mahomes' play was pretty absurd, spectacular, mind-blowing, very little wrong with it, very little negative plays. There haven't been that many of those games in the last year and a half. You know, we've, we've certainly had evidence of it, like the playoff game against Buffalo where both quarterbacks were pretty spectacular going back and forth. And then obviously Mahomes is the guy that comes out on the right side of that. The week before against Pittsburgh was also spectacular. So they're definitely still there. It's not like I'm saying, oh, Mahomes is cooked. The, yeah. the NFL's figured out Mahomes, what's going on. But I think the baseline has definitely dropped relative to when we first saw him show up. And I, I'm, this is another defense where you're like, it's not going to be that easy to go out there and just carve those guys to ribbons. When, when Mahomes was tearing up the league, and not that he, again, he's not not tearing up the league right now. He's still very good. But he had three straight years of 90-plus grades. And I thought I used to always compliment him by saying, hey, don't look at the big-time throws. Don't look at the highlight reel. Don't look at the stuff that everybody points out. Actually look at the quote-unquote easier stuff. He does that really well. Things like just hitting underneath throws, not missing a ton of throws, taking what's there. And then you complement that with the special. But his big-time throw rate has gone down. It's nothing like that 18-20 to 20 stretch when he was among the highest in the league. Last year he was low. This year he's kind of low again. And I think this is part of how the entire league is trending. Passing production yeah. across the league is, is, is down a little bit. And they're forcing quarterbacks to do the stuff I used to compliment Mahomes about, mm-hmm. the underneath stuff, right? Just take what's there, throw the ball accurately, um, avoid negative plays and all that fun stuff. And I think, again, it comes down to this, how patient can he be? How much does he want to create those chunk plays? Because you could always just dial up Tyreek and you don't necessarily have that right now, so you have to play that that patient game. And yeah. the Bucks defense is doing a good job of making life difficult for quarterbacks so far this I year. I think we've kind of reached, you know, everyone keeps talking about the, the football is cyclical, everything comes and goes. Every, you know, there's it's a a balance it's a scale that tips one way or the other a seesaw effect and offense was just in such an uh, an ascendant playing the last couple of years just going up and up and up the numbers going stratospheric and you're like wow what how can defenses ever get this back because all the rules have been sort of every re-emphasis or every change in rule every bend of the rule has all been about making offense even more effective and ever more productive I actually think schematically, though, defenses have started to do a pretty good job of fighting back. And all of a sudden, you're sort of looking at what they're doing right now. And they do appear to be curtailing all of these offenses, and at least making it, you know, putting a cap on how dominant and how productive they can be. 
and they're do it's not like they're reinventing anything crazy you know like we're talking about the thing that's causing the most problems is a bunch of split safety two high looks you know which okay there's there's more sophistication to it there are yeah, layers it's, it's not this. just like 2001 cover two that's what i'm saying right. like it's not like everyone has just gone okay well let's just run tampa bay's defense from 2002 you know that's not what's happening but from a big picture standpoint that's kind of what's happening you know what i mean we've just pivoted back to this kind of stuff albeit with some more layers to it and some adjustments and you know extra pieces of sophistication but nobody sort of found something you know crazy and unique that the league wasn't doing before it's just we've shifted with the emphasis and that's i think having a dramatic effect on quarterbacks yeah man the league is all about making adjustments so you've got more you know zone heavy just play around the league you've got more you know a little bit more disguise and blending of coverages i think seattle three is almost like a too high type of look because the you know the strong safety plays at depth i mean there's a lot of nuance to this stuff and um when we get into the game here chiefs bucks how much do you make of the chiefs just kind of look if some what ifs there they they mahomes made some spectacular plays against the chargers that not that you could take those away but you beyond those couple spectacular plays it was kind of a rough outing for that offense so we're talking you know back-to-back weeks of uneven play the Bucks offense has not been good this entire season is this another low scoring game despite Mahomes versus Brady here yeah it could I mean you kind of look at the Colts and you're like well if if the Colts can keep a lid on the Chiefs offense surely the Bucks can do something you know the Bucks have I think a dramatically better defense at pretty much every step so but we're also looking at that game and saying, well, that, that shouldn't have happened. Even watching the game, it doesn't make any sense. So I'm actually very torn on this game. Um, I think Kansas City's offense should have a reasonable degree of success just because of that starting point they have and how good they are as a baseline. But Tampa Bay's defense is legit, and that's going to cause them significant problems. And then the same thing um, on the other side. I think Tampa Bay's offense will be better with a couple of extra bodies back in the lineup, but... The Kansas City's defense is legit, so they'll probably keep a reasonable cap on that. So I, I'm kind of I'm stuck in the middle. I, I don't like this game at all from a betting standpoint with that line sort of right in the middle, but I think I'm leaning Kansas City. Uh, matchup to watch for me, Luke Gaudicke, the left guard. We've said Gadecki and Gaudicke, both things. So I'm, I go back and forth, you know, just to one of them will be right. Yeah, probably. Most likely. He's got a pass blocking grade of 31.3 so far. The rookie tackle conversion from Central Michigan. It's been okay in the run game, but he's got to go up against Chris Jones. I mean, if I'm the Chiefs, I know it's not, you know, sometimes you play strong week and all that stuff. I want Chris Jones one-on-one. Even Shaq Mason struggling a little bit in pass protection. So that interior pressure, again, you're saying Brady's pressure rate isn't there because he's just getting rid of the ball. But yeah, like you'll take that if you're the Chiefs and just saying, hey, dink and dunk all the way through because that's what we're saying the league wants. But if they try to get the ball to Julio and try to get the ball to Evans, interior pressure is going to be a factor potentially. And the Chiefs have shown they're willing to move Chris Jones around to find the weakest link on an offensive line. Like they did it against the Chargers. He started off playing against Zion Johnson, the rookie, for most of the first, the most of the early part of the game. Zion Johnson was actually doing a really good job against him. So he went across to Matt Filer and just started to wreck house. So all of a sudden it's like, all right, well, <laughs> let's just stay here then. I would imagine, I, I don't know if they're starting off, sort of identifying the weak link before the game and then seeing how it goes and adjusting if they need to. 
or if they're just playing it by ear as the game goes on. But either way, I would imagine they're zeroing in on Godicky um, as the weak link, and he'll see a lot of Chris Jones. Other thing to keep an eye on, remember these two teams played twice in that 2020 season. The Chiefs absolutely wrecked the Bucks' defense in the first quarter. Tyreek yes. Hill had almost 200 yards in the first quarter, getting behind the defense left and right. The Chiefs looked unstoppable. The Bucks bounced, you know, they, they fought back to, to lose with, by three, 27-24 in the regular season. Then in the Super Bowl was when Mahomes didn't have his offensive line. Mm-hmm. Bucks created a lot of pressure. They forced a lot of the underneath stuff. Cat and mouse game here, the schematics of how the Chiefs are going to attack Todd Bowles' defense. I assume Bowles, they're bringing the same game plan saying, hey, win underneath. I think the Chiefs will have more answers. All that said, I think the Bucks are a different team with Julio, with any kind of receiving talent there, and a pretty good defense this year. I'll take the Bucks to cover. My record's terrible, so. Yeah, it's really bad. Don't yeah. listen to me here. You haven't been within. You have the Chiefs? You haven't been within a game of 500 yet. I'm a slow starter. They say you're not good until after Thanksgiving. Is that right? You have till Thanksgiving to do You're stuff. not good until. Hmm. Isn't that the. Uh, Hey, as you all know, this season we've been following Symbol, the stock market for sports. They're back with us here. Symbol lets you trade pro and college teams like stocks and even earn cash dividend payouts when your teams win. It's a great way to speculate on sports teams in a long-term stock market-style format. Here's a little mid-season update on how a few teams are performing since week one. The Eagles are up over 18% after their 3-0 and start to the season. Tua and the Dolphins are up over 14% since week one. Look at this. It's like the real stock market. The Las Vegas Raiders are down 7% in September after their 0-3 start. And Chicago is now the second cheapest team after dropping over 2%, even though they're 2-1. I guess the market's not a huge fan of Justin Fields. Don't, don't tell Bears fans. Hmm. And the big winner this week, the Jag- Jacksonville Jaguars are up over 10% on the week after destroying the Chargers. So you can check out the entire market by downloading the Symbol mobile app for iOS by searching S-I-M-B-U-L-L in the App Store. Use the code FOOTBALL to receive a free team stock valued up to $150 upon signing up. It's really a, it's a fun market and a great way to speculate on teams that are rising and falling. I love this. I just love this concept. Download the app, create a free account, enter code FOOTBALL to get a free stock valued up to $150 after signing up. All right, other huge game this week. Buffalo Bills at the Baltimore Ravens. Have they played in Baltimore since Josh Allen's been good? I think they did when he wasn't good, but not since he's been good. It's usually in Buffalo. So you've got the Bills favored by three. And uh, both teams coming off of, well, not directly coming off of, but uh, both teams have one loss to the Dolphins. Yeah, that's where they are. True. Bills coming off a loss to the Dolphins. The Ravens had the heartbreak against the Dolphins a couple weeks ago. Lamar's our highest-graded quarterback. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. He's he's playing well. He's our highest-graded quarterback. Why is everybody saying we're hating him? Lamar's our highest-graded quarterback right now. And uh, I'm not even going to say MVP. I don't like the stupid MVP stuff. Just, we can't talk about MVP less than 20% into the season. Why, why, do, why do people do that? Why? I mean, you know my sense on MVP. The award is You never want to talk about terrible. it. So Lamar's playing great. Josh Allen's playing well. Despite last week, the, uh, the turnover where he plays, what are you looking for in this one? Yeah, like last week's. Last week essentially torpedoes Josh Allen's season great. He's got like two really good games, and then last week where he graded in the 50s, which we explained on yesterday's podcast, essentially six turnover-worthy plays. Explain, yeah, go listen to Explain the Grade yesterday, Josh yeah. Allen breakdown. Towards the end of the podcast, you should find it on the uh, the like hyperlink things, you know? Click and boom, straight there. Also, Spotify, if Spotify is not working, let us know, please. Spotify wasn't working. Still fixed it, he says. He did? Yeah. 
I heard it wasn't working like for a lot of different places. Yeah. It was just down. It's, it's probably Austin's fault. Did you email Austin and tell him? I didn't. Well, if we've got a fix, we're okay. Maybe Austin's like it. shadow banned us from the, the Spotify yeah, he might. back end, you know? Yeah, maybe I should stop hating on him so he doesn't hate back. <laughs> he's got a lot of power now <laughs> over there. Because um, we're, we're catching Rogan and he's like, hey, man, you know. Yeah, you of know, course. You slow him down. That's exactly what. The, you've got to protect Joe Rogan's podcast from right. us, you know, coming up on the rails. I think that's definitely true. Yeah. Um, so this game after last week i think it's going to be pretty interesting seeing how baltimore lines up on defense against josh allen because you know i don't think last week represents you know one of those blueprint games oh is this the blueprint to stopping josh allen blitz the crap out of him and then have really good players on the back end no because that's quite difficult to do the ravens obviously used to be a really blitz happy team when wink was the defensive coordinator and they were dialing up pressure from all over the place they don't do it as much anymore this season Baltimore blitzes 27.5% of the time, which is 16th, bang average, essentially. So what they need to do to combat Josh Allen is not going to be sending a ton of pressure. It's not going to be dropping back into coverage. I think their strategy has to be just mix it up enough to keep him off balance and try and at least make him sit there and diagnose what's going on before he makes the play and kills it anyway. So that, to me, I think is the, the real matchup to watch is – Josh Allen is still an alien. The guy is still ridiculously difficult to contain, to slow down, to stop. He is that offense effectively, you know, with help from Stephon Diggs and all those kinds of things. But you don't have the the horses. You don't have the game plan. You don't have the defense to do what Miami did. You're going to have to do it in a slightly different way. Yeah, and I'm, I'm looking at it's a different scheme in Baltimore, too, because they're playing less man coverage. They're playing um, more zone, like we've talked about. It's kind of a, a league-wide trend. And I feel like the Ravens kind of have to. Remember I mentioned last week, it was Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey both had excellent grades. It was like they were in the 90s and the next three corners on the roster were in the 20s and 30s for the Ravens. Not saying that's a thing that happens every single week, but that is, it's just top heavy over there in that secondary. So how do the Bills exploit those mismatches? You know, because if Stephon Diggs is on, guys like Brandon Stevens and Jalen Armour Davis, the way they're playing, it's a massive mismatch. So are, are they going to are they gonna play more man? Are they going to do more shadowing with, with a Marlon Humphrey, with a Marcus Peters against some of the better Bills receivers? Or are they just going to say, okay, we're going to play it soft, keep things in front of us? Um, that's a huge question for me. And then we talked about the, the Bucks offensive line. I'll reiterate, too, the Bills offensive line has not been great this year they were kind of getting away with it the first two weeks but from a pass protection standpoint the Ravens might be able to get some pressure their edge rushers have been kind of hit or miss but Justin Houston's still playing good ball and uh, Justin Matabuike guy that I really liked coming out of college a couple years ago they grabbed him in I think the third round he's playing the best ball of his career 84.1 grade he's got the highest grade on that Baltimore defense so far I would just keep an eye on him rushing from the interior for the Ravens defense neither of these offensive lines have been particularly good I think they both rank in the bottom half of offensive lines in the NFL so far this season Buffalo's is definitely it's you know it's clinging on like they're not where they've been this is the risk we've said this for a while of this approach of try and get average across the board that's great that's fine that's a good strategy but sometimes it doesn't function if you get the low end of the variance of the five average guys because all of a sudden that's by definition below average and you know you get you get struggles so the run blocking in particular for buffalo has been bad i think they would take that trade off you know 
below average run blocking versus uh, good pass blocking, but even the pass blocking hasn't been good. Like Roger Saffold was brought in. People like that move, I think, because you think back to what Roger Saffold was at his best, but the man has been dealing with a lot of injuries over the last few years. And Roger Saffold in 2022 is not the same as Roger Saffold, you know, back when he was playing at his best, 2020, 19, 18, that kind of thing. So he's been having a pretty rough time of it. Um, the interior generally is pretty weak. I think that's definitely an area where Baltimore can exploit. And their pass rush, they're another team where they don't necessarily have a superstar, but they've got a lot of guys chipping in with pressure. Like all of them are generating pressure, including Justin Houston, who's still like trucking on. I love, I love the edge rushers that just keep going. Like Dwight Freeney, just, I mean, he slowed down. They all slowed down a little bit, but they just keep producing. Um, Justin Houston's not even that old. It's just that he dealt with a lot of injuries and he felt like he was on the way down. He did, yeah, exactly. So early in his career. So um, here's a list of players that are per ESPN listed as questionable for the Buffalo Bills Ryan Bates, offensive line, Ed Oliver on the defensive line, Mitch Morse, center, Jordan Poyer, safety, Tommy Doyle, tackle. Dawson Knox, tight end. Jordan Phillips, defensive tackle. Dane Jackson, corner. Deion Dawkins, tackle. Cam Lewis, corner. Gabe Davis, wide receiver. And Justin Murray, tackle. It's the Bills' questionable list. Yeah, that's quite extensive. What are we even previewing here? I don't know who's going to play football. Hmm. J.K. Dobbins came back for the Ravens last week. He's also he's got a chest injury that showed up in the injury report yesterday. He's questionable. And technically, Justin Houston, also questionable with a groin injury. Patrick McCarry. The backup left tackle had a sprained ankle against the Patriots. He's questionable as well. The backup, backup, backup left tackle. Was he second strength? Because he, no. he filled in there Juwan last James year. was the Oh, Juwan James. Oh, Juwan James. He filled in six first. minutes before he went down. Okay, I've been meeting to, meaning to make a running tally of teams with left tackle There are multiple teams, injuries. I think, that are down to their third string left tackle. And yes. Baltimore is down to their – were down at some point to their fourth. So um, both the so the Dolphins Teron Armstead hasn't missed time right he missed like a couple of snaps I think but okay not, that's not that's fine time uh, Bucks and Chiefs the Bucks have left tackle injuries I'm just trying to get a running tally here Ravens you want to do this on the fly yeah yeah I'm gonna this. I want because we're gonna talk about every team I just want to discuss it along the way here it's great Bucks Ravens um, Deion Dawkins for the Bills is a maybe so uh-huh. all right man three points here the um, the Ravens are getting three in this game. I don't know. I kind of like that. I like the Ravens getting points at home. Yeah. And so what's interesting to me is that you're still dealing with the majority of the Bills starting secondary out. You know, not just questionable, but like done. Tredavious White is still not back. Um, the, Micah Hyde is on IR, so he's missing a few more weeks. And Christian Benford, the rookie, is not playing either. He's had surgery on a was it a thumb injury, a hand injury, something like that. So, what what's fascinating is that as much as they lost the game and they you know gave up some like the the backup secondary essentially did a pretty good job against Miami, yeah. particularly when you consider you know Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle and what that offense has been doing so far. It's actually bizarre how sort of personnel proof this. Buffalo defense is they can lose a lot of players and have no real visible evidence of the downturn in personnel and talent they they have done a great job 
So they're facing Baltimore. Obviously, the Ravens have a unique offense, the Lamar Jackson thing. Lamar Jackson's only making himself money so far this season in terms of his contract negotiation. The last time Baltimore faced Buffalo was back in 2020, right, in the playoffs, where Lamar had like 190 total yards. So, okay, they don't have the same personnel, either team, but if this well-coached, well-schemed, Buffalo defensive unit can put a lid on Lamar Jackson where their weakest is the area that Baltimore doesn't really love attacking you know in terms of wide receivers out wide I actually kind of like Buffalo's ability to slow down Baltimore and put a cap on that and then it, it, the whole game comes down to what can the Ravens defense do against uh, Josh Allen and I'm saying they can't slow him down enough so I'm going to take Buffalo you're going to take Buffalo I was going to I was going to pose the question like if last week didn't happen if Buffalo didn't lose last week, we didn't know that game. But I even think, how would you feel about Buffalo? Because we thought a week ago we we're like they're a juggernaut. Everything that they're doing, four man rush and still pressuring, playing nickel and still not giving it up against the run. They're just to me winning the cheat codes. Even so far. though they lost, they came out of that game with a, an enhanced reputation, not a diminished one. Yeah. I think both teams emerged from that game with more credit than they went into it with. I'm interested Miami, in obviously for winning and Buffalo for actually getting as close as they did despite everything that was going against them. I'm interested in this Buffalo pass rush, which has they have a pass rush grade over 90. The only other team over 80 in the NFL is the Dallas Cowboys by yeah. our team pass rush grades. Boogie Basham at 93, Gregory Rousseau at 89, Vaughn Miller at 89. But it's not just about winning blocks. It's about containing Lamar as well. I want to see how they play that because you can't just get upfield. You got to play contain. Not that he's a big-time scrambler, but you know <coughs> game on the line. Lamar's going to have the ball in his hands. So it's a matchup to watch there. I, I think I like Baltimore here, man. I, I think Buffalo's too banged up for this back-to-back. And if we're, if we're using the Miami's beat up from last week, Buffalo still has to be kind of beat up a little bit too. It won't be as hot. won't be as hot, mm. presumably. Give me Baltimore. The uh, week four MVP hype is going to be through the roof here. Love these matchups. This is what's fun about the AFC, right? I mean, you've got... Lamar versus Josh Allen. Josh Allen versus Tua. Throw Tua in the mix now. Is he in the mix? Is he in the like the next great young quarterback mix yet? No. I'm just not entertaining any of this crap. You know, trying to trying to create uh, storylines here. Yeah. No, I'm not having it. Big storyline. Storyline guy. Where are we going next? Uh, one of the other awesome best games of the week. But first, the PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home? Planning to start a family? No. Already have one. Mm-hmm. Wondering how to make your money grow? Yes, I am. Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. Now... I could make your money grow. I could make. I could double your money, but it's risky. You know, take it all through your Robinhood app. No, no, no. You Doge. Take all your money and you put it on black. Oh on man, the roulette wheel. Now that's look, a, it's. Do you have a potential return number on that? It's double your money. Oh, but that's high. But hundred percent return. The, well, possible. It's. I can double your money, but the risk is, it's a little bit less than fifty-fifty. Yeah. Whether you, whether that'll happen. What's it like? Fifty forty-five percent chance. I mean. um yeah, 45%. It's whatever the, the number is minus the zero and double zero. I, that, that's whatever not, that is. That's, that's way beyond my it's under 50. to calculate. I got one of those McAfee stories where I told a teammate to just throw it on 31. That's my number, and it worked. It was a hero. Hero for, uh, <laughs> yeah. for a night. 47.4% apparently is the odds. Oh, that feels strong. To double? I mean, yeah. 
Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, P we should do that with like uh, PFF revenue. Just the possibilities are endless. Oh, you could pitch it. I mean, what? He's just listening right now. You pitch yeah. it. Chris, take all of our revenue, throw it on black. 47.4%. If that doesn't work, throw it on red. Just saying. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, let's go. Jacksonville Jaguars at the Philadelphia Eagles. We made this one of the games of the week. Two and one Jaguars against the three and O Eagles. Eagles are favored by six and a half. Uh, you and I did a PFF NFL daily this week asking the very uh, simple question with no overreaction. Has Trevor Lawrence... Reasonable level-headed question. Reasonable oh. level. That, that's what I'm... Yeah. Reasonable level-headed question. Has Trevor Lawrence turned a corner? Uh -huh. The type of question that we would ask here. Yeah. What are other people asking around the, the uh, internet here, Sam? I believe it was the ringer was asking, is Trevor Lawrence... Was it a top... What was... Definitely top 10. Did it, was it top 5? Is Trevor Lawrence essentially a really good quarterback right now? And the answer is no. I mean, settle down, people. Let's... Let's string three good games together first. Oh, they were more declarative. What did they say? I mean, it's a headline, and then the you have to you have to add the context. It's Stephen Ruiz talking to our friend Nora on the idea that Trevor Lawrence will be a top ten quarterback. But the statement is Trevor Lawrence will finish the season as a top ten quarterback. Okay, which is okay. I mean, no, that's a, well, they that's definitely a had a tweet that asked, "Is he a top ten quarterback now?" Yeah, but that's what social media people do. Like, they ask a question based off the statement that's been made. And is Trevor Lawrence a top 10 quarterback here, Sam? No, no, he's not. Not yet. Trevor Lawrence has strung two reasonable games together in his career. We did have a listener point out if you throw in week 18, it's three out of four. Yeah. Hey, I've been impressed with Lawrence and the Jaguars offense. So have I. I'm just saying that you might want to sample size longer than two games before you determine him as a top 10 quarterback. We just had this debate about whether Kirk Cousins is in the top 10 after like three years of pretty good grading. And now we're asking after two games, is Trevor Lawrence there already? That's because Kirk Cousins has a way of breaking things. He has a way of breaking things. Anyway, I want to... We did have uh, one of our emails that I don't think is going to end up becoming like... It could be one of our questions on a Wednesday, but it was like, hey, revisit those Jaguars moves this offseason, which I think from your perspective felt a little scattershot, like we're going to add a little bit here, a little bit there. From my perspective, I think they probably paid a premium for players, but they just added a little bit to almost every position group, and I don't think that's a bad strategy. I thought that was fine. I don't think you need like a, let's build this position group first. You have at receiver Zay Jones and Christian Kirk playing well. You have Brandon Scherf at guard. He's been solid. Uh, you've got on the defensive side, uh, Foyasade Olakun at linebacker playing better than he did the last couple of years. Folo Fadakasi on the defensive line. He's been solid. Solid. I mean, that's what they added this offseason, and that's a huge part of this team getting better. I'd say corner Darius Williams, 36th grade so far, not playing to his standard. But they got incrementally better at a lot of position groups this offseason plus Doug Peterson, new offensive system, Trevor Lawrence starts playing better, and I think that's all added up to, it's early, but it's a 2 and one start, but a much better-looking Jaguars team. Yeah, the big thing to me is less the players that they added and more the impact that Doug Peterson and his coaching staff can have over the guys that they've drafted over the last few years and hadn't done anything yet um, or hadn't you know done enough to become the players that they were supposed to be. And if we're giving... Everybody's been focused on Doug Peterson plus Trevor Lawrence versus Urban Meyer, right? But actually, that goes way deeper than that. What if the coaching staff can get the best out of Josh Allen, the other Josh Allen? 
um, unless he's facing the Josh Allen, in which case he becomes the Josh, Josh Allen. Allen, the pass rusher. Yeah, um, who currently has a an overall PFF grade of 90. He's got 16 pressures of the season, which is top five or something in the league. Mike Parsons leads the NFL with 19. But like, what if this group going to get the best out of Josh Allen and a first round pick, a guy who we loved as a pass rusher coming out, the seventh overall selection? What if he actually becomes an elite player as opposed to a pretty good pass rusher who, you know, hadn't necessarily become that guy yet? If that happens, like that, that's like getting a completely different player. And even if, you know, Trayvon Walker doesn't become a dominant force in year one, it takes him a little bit of time to get going. So I think that actually has the potential to move this team forward at least as much as the additions that they made in the offseason. I feel like the Jags defense is becoming a must-watch group every week just because of the athleticism and the... I mean, again, because I, I am just utterly fascinated by Trayvon Walker and his development generally. Devin Lloyd, Rookie of the Month. Devin Lloyd gets Rookie of the Month. Despite playing like crap in Week 1. Yeah, but he's 78 overall grade. He's still playing. I mean, his well, Week month 2 and good. Week 3 were yeah. amazing, but Week 1 was bad. His month was fantastic. He's got four pass breakups in, in, in his three games. So Josh Allen, Devin Lloyd... Trayvon Walker, uh, even last year, he's top, uh, top of the second round pick. Tyson Campbell playing well at corner. I love this Jags defense. I love what they're bringing to the table. But um, going up against Philly, that is just, they're just cooking offensively. They are pulling the right strings. They're creating open throws. When they're not creating open throws, A.J. Brown's mossing cornerbacks. Devontae Smith is mossing cornerbacks. Yes. I mean, there's a, I, I, for the thousandth time, drink if you're playing the drinking game. Multiple ways to win, and the Eagles are showing multiple ways to win, both offensively and defensively. I'm curious if the Eagles' defensive front can do the same thing this week that they did to Washington, which is just lay waste to what was in front of them. They absolutely destroyed the Washington offensive line, and yet for the season, they're only 10th in pressure rate. Like, it's not – that hasn't been every week. You know, the Eagles just show up, and every single guy up front is winning almost every single play. That was – I don't know. For some reason, they just showed up in abundance against Washington. Okay, the the commanders were down. What know, happens there? But you get, like, Carson Wentz has a really high... Well, he didn't help, yeah. But, but they pressure also... Pressure to sack rate. They were down interior players as well. You know, it's yeah. not their... their it's not the line that they want to start every single week. Um, but, but Jacksonville's offensive line isn't great. It's moving in the right direction, I think. But it has weaknesses. So it's the kind of line that they could do that against. We just haven't seen it every single week. Um, and that, like, that changes everything. When, so I was sort of looking through Justin Jefferson tape. You know, you're like, obviously, he had that incredible week one. I'm like, well, where did he go week two and three? What were those teams doing to take away Justin Jefferson? And certainly against Philadelphia, you turn on the tape, it's like, honestly, not that much. Like, everyone's going to say, oh, Darius Slay shut him down, which is only partially true, but there was a ton of off-target passes, not because of anything that was happening with Darius Lay and Justin Jefferson, but because Kirk Cousins was about to be destroyed by a Philadelphia pass rush, and he was just heaving the ball somewhere. Like, anyway, Justin Jefferson's yeah. over there somewhere. Throw it, right? By the way, Darius Lay's going to be all pro this year because of that game alone. Probably. Because prime time and Cousins kept and throwing like, to him. And I'm, I'm not saying that he was bad or anything. I'm just saying that, you know, there was a lot more to that game than Darius Lay owned Justin Jefferson. Therefore, that matchup was Philadelphia's way. It was like... Kirk Cousins was under pressure for almost all of those Jefferson targets and was not accurate with the ball because of it. Well, if you ask the average fan, you know, who's, uh, who's the best corner on the Eagles? They're saying Darius Slay. I saw that on Monday Night Football. What mm-hmm. if I told you James Bradbury on the other side 
a guy that we said, man, what a good fit. What a great signing after the Giants had to cut him because of cap purposes. Get him for you know pennies on the dollar after the draft. James Bradbury and Darius Slay have the same exact coverage grade, 76.9. Darius Slay is allowed a passer rating of 29.3 into his coverage. Bradbury is at 30.5. Both of those better off spiking the ball, right? Yes. There you go. Um, Bradbury's got an extra pass breakup, and he's only at, he's only given up nine catches on 21 targets. So that's 43% into his coverage, Bradbury, and only 6.6 yards per reception. Again, Steve repeats himself again. The first six or seven games last year when the Eagles' defense was they were they were trotting out the softest zones I think I've ever seen. Yeah, and almost every quarterback was completing 80% of their passes and all this stuff. And you have two corners now allowing 43% or lower. They have started to hit this stride of the pass rush is getting home. They're calculating blitzes properly, and they're making life difficult on quarterbacks. So the Eagles' defense has been absolutely their defense has been legit. Um, it really has. And like I said, it's it's the combination of getting a ton of pressure with that front four or sort of front seven, but rotating just four guys, and then the back end being able to hold up with both Darius Slay and James Bradbury. Like, this is a really, really good defense, and the defense is not their most impressive unit so far this season. Like, the offense and everything they're doing. You see that play, by the way, the Dallas Goddard glitch in the Matrix thing, where he was was like a tight end screen. He catches and starts running, and then just like glitches to the side uh, out of a tackle. I didn't. I mean, I saw him. I saw most of that play. I don't remember that specifically, though. Yeah, it didn't. So the sideline TV view, it doesn't make any sense how this happens. Like, there's a safety coming in, barreling straight at him, and he just like glitches to the yeah. side, and it's like, what the hell? How did that not? It didn't even slow him down, let alone tackle him. When you watch the end zone view, you got like you got bumped by an offensive lineman who was like either the lineman or the blocker. As he was running, he got bumped as he was sort of in midair which literally like blasted him a yard to the side. And then the, the safety running in with a terrible attempt at a tackle, to be fair, just found that he wasn't there anymore because like, he'd been like 300 pounds of human. Oh, I'd be so mad at Madden. Left. I would be so mad at Madden if that happened. Yeah. I mean, how much to the Eagles, they miss on Jalen Rager, but like just keep attacking that position. Going with yeah. Devontae Smith the next year, still trading for A.J. Brown. Yes. And then Dallas Goddard is one of the better receiving tight ends and now when you when you add that all up it's like all right cover this plus you got hurts as a runner and the running backs and the o-line i mean that that's i'm going philly to cover the six and a half i hate it but i think i am as well it's a that six and a half is a big number for a team like jacksonville that's actually playing pretty well i've been a jaguars believer i'm always but this this also feels like one where it's like trevor throws a couple to the defense trying to make a comeback and all that i mean i'm this is this is the best defense that this Jacksonville team has gone up against so far this season. Yeah. Like, they've got they've Washington, nah. Indianapolis, okay, their defense seems feistier than they have any right to be, and the Chargers' defense isn't bad, but it was pretty depleted, you know? Yeah. I think this is a different level where instead of, okay, Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack might be the best duo in the NFL or one of the best, but Philadelphia's got seven guys that can all get pressure, and they've been getting pressure. And on the back end, it's instead of, like, a work-in-progress back end like the Chargers – proven two quality shutdown type cornerbacks looking forward to this matchup it's gonna be a fun one all right so we're gonna have to go so we're both taking philly covering the six and a half yep we're gonna have to go a little bit quicker through the rest of the games those are the three we get the 
the headline games. We have the three headline the games. This hitters. next one's somewhat headline. You've seen it before, though. Los Angeles Rams at the San Francisco 49ers. It's Monday Night Football. The Niners favored by one and a half here. Um, this was the NFC Championship last year, and it was the first time the Rams had beaten the 49ers in, what, six attempts yeah. previously? Can you explain why this? Why are the 49ers favorites in this game? Is it just that? It's It's got to be something to the matchups. The history. It's much like the... The Saints and the Bucks. The Saints play the Bucks well, and they have uh, I, I an antidote to the Bucks offense, and weird stuff happens. And I understand that the Rams don't look great this year, certainly relative to a season ago. It's not. It's not as hasn't been as impressive. But still, like the know. Niners always seem to have answers. Let's just anyway. The the Niners always seem to have answers for the Rams defense, which not a lot of teams do. Let Let's just remember too. There are. There's always Stafford, there's Stafford stands and there's Stafford detractors. I still see some of the detractors saying, man, if Jaquiski Tart just catches that heave that he threw mm. last year in the NFC Championship, the Stafford narrative completely changes, right? He blew oh, it yeah. in the NFC Championship. And not just that, but no, the, the Bucs had one in the end zone early in that game as well. Like, yeah. they had a, he threw at least one to the defense and, every game in the playoffs. And that's fine. I am, I am team volatile Stafford that, you know, that stuff happens, but he had way more good than bad but I think it's easy to just look back and say well again the Rams won the Super Bowl therefore everything was great and they're just a better team and all that stuff but when you look back at every team's Super Bowl run there there were ebbs and flows there were times where it looked bleak right so the Rams aren't this more dominant team than the 49ers now the so that that's where I th- that's what I'm coming at with like here's why the Niners are favored there's history there the Rams, yes, they won the Super Bowl, but you're a handful of plays going the other way, so it's not like the Rams are this you know, juggernaut that the Niners can't compete with. All that said, last week the Niners lost 11-10, to 10 and Jimmy G ran out of the end zone mm. unpressured. So the Niners' offense has some question marks right now. Look, it's easily done. They couldn't done. move the ball. It's easily done. It's a, it's a short area. It's only 10 yards, you know. Anybody. I just need Dan O's people to get back. Like, let us talk to Dan. Let us talk to Dan O. Orlovsky. Who? Wanna, what? We tried to talk to his people last year. Like, oh, he's too busy. Did we? Yeah. Yeah. Let's get him. We need I to get him on the show. I'm sure Dan would do it. Just DM him. I don't know if he follows me. Does I'll he? unmute him and I'll DM him. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did I say that? <laughs> Sometimes I just didn't want to see his takes for a while. You're out here. You're wearing, you know, Florida what? stuff to the guy, to the Miami booster. Yeah, bring on the guy that I'm going to help me. Now you're telling me. I want to invite Wade Phillips on the show, too, because he's blocked you. Dan doesn't follow me. I'm out here he partially responsible for people discovering Dan Orlovsky on Twitter. I'm sure his I mean, DMs The man doesn't open. even follow me. I'm sure his DMs are open, and he'll definitely see we, yours We'd at have the to go through Mina. That would be the way in. I think we did, and she was like, yeah, talk to the PR guy. Oh, she I, gave us to the PR guy. I can't, I can't handle PR. Mina's just, just fork over his number. Just fork over his number. I want Dano on this show, and I want to know the mechanics of running out of the end zone. Oh, I think it's pretty simple. You see a large man running towards you, and you just run the hell away from it. Yeah, I might do that, and too. And it's only afterwards you, it occurs to you that you ran out of the, the dimensions of the field. All right, what are you looking for in this game? Rams at 49ers. So, I, I mean, look, I, I take your point that this wasn't a dramatically different set of teams last year just because the Rams won the Super Bowl and the 49ers didn't. But... The Rams were better last year. They were. And they're still better. Um, and they have a better quarterback. 
And, and that holds true whether or not you factor in Matthew Stafford heaving the ball to the defense every now and again, which is a fairly regular occurrence for Matthew Stafford. It's also a fairly regular occurrence for Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, these are not dramatic. These are not reasons where the, why the 49ers would be favorites in this game. Uh, in addition to that, the 49ers have done a good job limiting the damage that Aaron Donald can do to their offense generally. But... This is also the weakest offensive line that they fielded in a long time. The interior, in particular, is not good. They're now down a left tackle. Trent Williams, the best left tackle, in fact, in the NFL, arguably. Um, so Donald has, the, Donald has a much greater capacity in this game to wreck house than he has normally against the 49ers. So I don't know. I, I, it feels to me like this is a game where the Rams should be reasonable favorites. Uh, reiterating last week, Stafford had... Uh, over 70% of his yards after the catch. There was a drop in the end zone by Cooper Cup that would have offset that, but it was a, an underneath passing attack for the Rams last week in a safe a safe passing attack with Stafford. He wasn't throwing the ball the ball to the defense this time around. I feel like they need that that game, right? You need that safer game, but the Niners, man, they're they're flying around defensively. They're they're playing much better. Remember there was a point there was like a disconnect I think last year with the 49ers actual performance defensively and then the reality epa per play epa per play on 10 plus yard throws they were among the worst in the league there were points in the season where they got better i think this year's team is better though this is a much better 49ers defense i think we're looking at a low scoring game here like the 11 to 10 last week there are some really low uh over-unders this week actually not just this week but generally this season like i've seen the over-under drop below 40 a bunch of times. And in today's NFL, that just always feels too low. You know what's interesting is, so a lot of times you have September and offense is up and you, you don't really have a whole lot of bad weather games and offense is better in September than it is in December, January. And this year, I feel like my prediction from a few years ago before we knew Josh Allen was a star, before we knew Lamar Jackson would break out, I feel like that one, which is there's no clear-cut top quarterbacks so therefore every year that's going to be this like shuffle them up who knows who comes out on top type of deal it's not exactly that but it kind of feels like that right because you got Brady and Rodgers Rodgers had one bad game in there and Brady doesn't have his guys and Mahomes has been a little up and down even if the results are good like you just don't have anybody dominating right now offense is down Mm -hmm. is my is my point um yeah I don't know what I like in this one you're so right about you, you always start with Donald when you're looking at the Rams, right? You always start there. Yeah. And look at the matchups that he has there. And I agree that they've done a good job generally of slowing down Aaron Donald and making sure that he isn't the kind of factor in the game that you think he should be. Um, but I think that's I, I think that's gonna be harder this time with the interior group that they have now versus the one that they've had in previous years. You know, they've lost players and that interior was already looking like a weakness. Now they're down their left tackle as well, who was their best graded offensive lineman. Um, like, this is not the usual 49ers offensive line. Yeah, give me the Rams. Give me the Rams getting points here. Same. Does the, does the history matter? Does the history matter minus the NFC championship? Uh, I, so, no. I think if they'd, won the, if they'd won the championship as well, I would have been pretty hard to ignore. You know, like, we're now six in a row, and the better team keeps losing. I don't, this doesn't make any sense to me. The fact they finally got the monkey off the back and they're like, all right, snapped. You know, I'm not, 
I don't I don't make a distinction essentially between the regular season and postseason in terms of streaks like this. The fact that they snapped the streak and we showed all right, there is at least no complete jinx or some sort of like schematic kryptonite that Kyle Shanahan has over Sean McVay. We've figured we've proven at last that McVay can win. Therefore, I'm no longer interested that it's a it's a large run in his favor. On all I know is I'm looking at the PFF app right now. And the PFF app doesn't like any of the bets in this game whatsoever. Mm. You should check out the PFF app as well. You get all of our smart bets. We got little, like I see an A bet right there. That is tempting. But there's a lot of like D's and F's, right? If there's no yeah, real edge. doesn't love a lot this week. Yeah, if there's no real edge, it's just going to say, hey, don't touch this. Yep. This is one of those games PFF app is saying, don't touch this. Niners are favored by one and a half right now at home. Monday night football. Over-unders 43. You're right, it's not that... It's not that high. Mm-hmm. Not that high. But uh, I'll take the Rams to cover that. Same. All right. Washington Commanders at the Dallas Cowboys. What are we calling this one? Uh, the Ginger Bowl. The Ginger Bowl. Mm-hmm. There's a wrench thrown into the Ginger Bowl plans here. Mm-hmm. Is the uh, the Red Rifle, Andy Dalton, old friend here, might be making the start in London to start the day well the good news is we'll we'll know whether or not that's been a problem by the time this game starts like if andy dalton goes off at 9 30 a.m eastern what does this commander's cowboys look there's no more ginger talent to go well, around if he goes yeah if, if andy dalton balls out at 9 a.m in london hammer the unders in this game yes like nobody's that scoring is, any points that is that is how you hand that is how you acknowledge the and look uh, i'm not gonna lie the, the pff app might not indicate that this is one that you, you're going to know only from listening to this podcast. There's no way the I don't think ginger the theory is baked into the algorithm. I don't think it is. No. So, you know, when you're, you're firing up your bets, you're firing up the app on Sunday morning trying to figure out where you're going to put your money, it, if, if Andy Dalton's gone off for like six touchdowns, you know, looked like a dominant force, it might not be clear, you know, from the app. They might not have an A grade next to it. But you know from listening to this podcast, nail the under. So it's Carson Wentz versus Cooper Rush. That's why we're... We're having our fun with that. Uh, Carson Wentz has been sacked 15 times this year. That's tied, right? Yeah, tied for the league lead with Joe Burrow. So if we're going to talk about Joe Burrow's offensive line or to him getting sacked all the time, we have to do the same thing with Wentz. 28% of his pressure dropbacks. That's also one of the worst rates in the, in, his, in the league. And you have Micah Parsons, Demarcus Lawrence on the other side for the Cowboys. What do we have? Three and a half? Cowboys by three and a half here at home. What are you looking for in this one? I mean, I, Micah Parsons has reached that level where that's your starting point. It's like the Aaron Donald thing. It's only three now, by the way. Um, oh, down to three. Let's, yeah. let's, let's update that. I know. I keep checking for each one of these games. Thank you. The, yeah, Micah Parsons has reached that Aaron Donald level where that's my starting point for every single game. How are you going to address Micah Parsons lining up and how are you going to stop that? Um, because so far, nobody has. He leads the NFL in pressures. He's got 19 of them. We are starting to see, I'm mean, not just starting to see, he is now, he's a true full-time edge rusher they've sacked off any notion of Aaron or of uh Micah Parsons you know being an off-the-ball linebacker it's just not happening now and people are saying you know maybe that's a uh, maybe that's a reflection of the the opposition he's still lining up in the box sometimes but we are talking about a pure pass rusher at this point and maybe the best one in the league outside of Aaron Donald so Washington we saw Last week, what happens to that offensive line when they're overmatched? They got destroyed. They don't have anybody on that line that can block Micah Parsons one-on-one, so you're going to need to do it from a schematic point of view. 
And Dallas doesn't make it easy for you because they'll move him around. They won't line him up the same spot every single time. So whatever your solution is in terms of chip blocks, in terms of help by alignment, in terms of, you know, passing quickly, you have to do it factoring in the fact that he's going to move around the place. Interestingly enough, all that said, Washington's actual pass blocking grades for the offensive line, not terrible. Mm. Like I said, it's, it's when they give it up, they're becoming sacks, right? They're becoming negative plays. You also have some rough pass blocking grades from, say, running backs and tight ends in there and everything. It's just it's the unit as a whole. Um, but Carson Wentz, he's got to do a better job. He's got to do a better job there, avoiding those negative plays. And it's another one of those games where I think, you know, relying on those receivers on the outside earlier, right? It's It feels like Wentz, when it gets to not complete garbage time, but when it gets like Jacksonville, they, they started to fall behind. He starts throwing the ball down the field a little bit more. Got to start taking those chances a little bit earlier, I'd say. Um, the other piece of the offensive line for Washington, as of yesterday, Charles Leno, Samuel Cosme, both, both tackles are questionable. But... I just never – I don't know what to make of these. Wes Schweitzer, he's been filling in at center, right, for Chase Rullier. Mm-hmm. He's also questionable with a concussion. He did not practice Wednesday. So we could be looking at some backups. If one of those tackles doesn't play, you have Parsons and Lawrence. I really think DeMarcus Lawrence is one of those guys. He's, he's going to be the key here. We're going to come out of this season looking at DeMarcus Lawrence, who's been – he's been criticized for sack totals fluctuating through the years. And I feel like we've always defended him and say, hey, the pass, the pass rushing grade is there. It's there. It's there every single year. But his sack totals, 15, 13, 6, 7, 3. Pass rushing grade has been pretty good, consistent the whole way. DeMarcus Lawrence is going to have 20 sacks this year. 20? Yeah. He's got three. He could have a fifth. I'm not saying that definitively. DeMarcus <laughs> Lawrence can have a 15 to 20 sack season this year because of the attention Micah Parsons starts to draw. Yeah, I mean, it's, he's already, it's, a, it's at that level right now. He's already tied what he had last year on less than half the snaps um, and way less than half the pass rushes. So I think, yeah, the point, he can have a huge season based off what happens if you suddenly get none of the attention, you know? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I think that's a reasonable point to make that he'll definitely clean up because everybody's focusing on Micah Parsons. The, All that said, he's he's also questionable as well to Marcus Lawrence. Yeah, there's a lot of people. Everybody I talk about is questionable, so take it all with a grain of salt. We've reached questionable point, can be anything. It's right. 50-50. We've reached the point in the season now where just everybody is questionable. This That point of the season is supposed to be week 11, yeah. by Except, the way. by the way, Justin Herbert, who's actually got something wrong with him and is not showing up in the injury report, weirdly. Well, that, that sounds like the Chargers might need to fork over a draft pick at some point. I, I mean, I assume they're not. I assume Are you saying the is, cartilage is melded back together i don't know i maybe i don't quite understand how a guy with broken rib cartilage doesn't show up in the injury report but that appears to be the case it's not like they can think they're getting away with it you know everyone saw it happen like on national tv so anyway by the way the bucks uh the sunday night game bucks and chiefs will remain in tampa bay as of now okay that's all the news happening right now uh, Cooper Rush, three for three in game-winning drive slash fourth-quarter comebacks in his career. Now he is on the injury report. Never mind. Oh, I wish you were a liar. I, I, I have fact-checked myself. I'd rather work with someone who didn't lie to me. I mean, what if I lie and then recant it within 30 seconds? It's admirable. Okay. It's like the, you know, the five-second rule with food on the floor. If I can take it back after 30 seconds, it's, it's fine. Okay, that's good then. Uh, Michael Gallup supposed to be back for the Dallas Cowboys, too. We'll kind of see how 
how they add him to the mix. Noah Brown has been excellent the last two weeks. I am really curious about Noah Brown. If that is just a Cooper Rush, you know, couple backups that have been in Dallas for a few years type of connection. You know how that happens sometimes? They've been practicing together for years. Or if Noah Brown can actually be that true number three behind C.D. Lamb and Michael Gallup. And then you have C.D. Lamb had that weird game the other night, right? He's open deep, drops it, and then yeah. he makes the spectacular one-handed catch. He's still awesome. I'm liking Dallas in this one. Their defense, their pass rush, Wentz holding the ball, and um, and Cooper Rush keeping it going. Yeah, the, the Dallas pass rush against Washington's offensive line is what's swaying it for me. I don't like betting into a Cooper Rush-led Dallas offense. I don't necessarily... I think Washington is better than they've shown, so I also think there's mileage to be betting into them, but that matchup specifically scares me. Minnesota Vikings at the New Orleans Saints. This is your London game, 9.30 a.m. Eastern time. It's really New Orleans by three? It was. Let me check it now. Check it out. New Orleans by three. Is that true? Pulling up green line here as well. Um, it seems like Jameis Winston might not be going. It's Minnesota by two and a half. Okay, so you just uh, lied again. I'm reasonably certain I didn't. This is the second week in a row you had Minnesota's uh, line completely off. I Again, I'm reasonably certain I didn't do that. But That's okay. fine. That's, I'm, not, I'm not blaming That's you. Fine. So Minnesota by two and a half, which makes a little bit more sense. They feel like they're a, a better team at this point. It's in London. Nothing makes sense. Oh, that's true. Also, but no, that makes sense because it swung because the Red Rifle's about to start. You're telling... James yep. Winston's not telling worth you. five and a half. That's what I'm telling you. Stop it. I don't think I screwed that up. I believe that the Red Rifle news has swung that line. I'm Stop sticking it. with that. I think Andy Dalton, the way I think he'll... Uh, I hate saying this. Mm-hmm. Speak. What do you got? He's going to make this offense look better. Wow. Than Jameis has to this point. Wow. Jameis is officially, officially questionable. Um, offensive coordinator Pete Carmichael confirmed that Winston, back, ankle, hip, all three things. He didn't participate in Thursday's practice, but he's hopeful the quarterback will be on the field Friday. I've uh, fact-checked myself again. You want this one? Yeah. So the line has moved significantly with the red rifle news, but it doesn't appear to explain where I got my number, which doesn't connect to anything. So I don't know. I again reasonably certain I didn't screw that up, but but my number doesn't match the line at any point. So everybody's wrong. Yeah, yeah. All right. So Pete Carmichael says Jameis Winston. He's hopeful the quarterback will be on the field Friday. He didn't say which part of the field. Could be the sideline. Could be the actual playing field. I don't think that counts as the field, does it? It's a field. No. Yeah, if you have like a field pass, you're standing on the turf outside the white lines but you're standing on the turf mm, i think this is a this is a shrewd way of saying look it's andy dalton's team right now but Jameis is gonna be have, wearing a headset James gonna be wearing eating those headset. dubs you know what i mean that's what they want him doing yeah on the sideline i th- now i would say if you had michael thomas out there and chris olave and jarvis landry i was gonna make the point i could see andy dalton the distributor doing a nice job with this offense yeah. I could see that happening. Andy Dalton hasn't had this type of supporting cast since 2015 with the Cincinnati Bengals. Didn't he have it when he played for Dallas briefly and looked like garbage before he got hurt? Okay, maybe. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. I probably made the same prediction back then, I too. I believe we did. Yeah. I don't think it worked out well. It was definitely wrong yeah. back then. But I could see Andy Dalton this time around yeah. if he had all those players. The problem is, I'm not going to read their questionable list, too, but it's, it's every <laughs> starter. 
<laughs> Alvin Kamara, Jarvis Landry, Michael Thomas, Traquan Smith. I mean, is the NFL just calling everybody questionable? Yeah. Paulson Adebo. Dalvin Cook is questionable. Hill. Dalvin Cook's questionable with his uh, rig shoulder. You're going to have to blast it in on the goalpost before he starts up. I mean, if it's in, he's playing, right? Well, I think he, he, needs, to hit, he needs to knock it in with the goalpost, and then he needs to harness it up so it doesn't pop out again. What are you looking for in this game? Uh, I want to see how the Saints defend Justin Jefferson. You know, I talked about this a little bit before. I don't think Detroit or Philadelphia did anything particularly creative to stop him. You know, overall, I don't think that was, you know, it wasn't a dramatic shift from what we saw against Green Bay. It was more against Philadelphia. The pass rush is getting there. Um, there were a couple of weird plays in there as well. Like the first one, I think his first target was a pass breakup from Darius Slay, which was definitely pass interference. Like he had one arm hooked and wasn't letting Jefferson get there. Didn't get called. There was another one late, the Darius Slay interception, where for some reason Jefferson just didn't cross his face and just left him, you know, like so it was a, That was not on him. That was not on Cousins. No, I mean, he's, he's running like a deep post against a, a corner and off coverage. That should be a, a easy money for a receiver and a quarterback cousins puts it where it's supposed to be and for some reason i mean darius lay anticipated it well and got himself in the way but once he was blocking jefferson's path jefferson just just bailed on it essentially and gave up at which point slay is now standing there to intercept the pass um so i think there's a degree to which this vikings offense and the the plays and the route concepts are a little bit too predictable there's definitely evidence from those two games that corners knew what was coming, you know, and, and were ready to, to make those plays. But I don't think anybody's doing anything spectacular to take that away. So how does New Orleans line up to try and stop it? Do they just put Marshawn Lattimore on them all game? Or do they just line up with a regular defense and say, you know what, your, your great player isn't functioning as well because the rest of your offense isn't firing? All right, we know Kirk Cousins struggles on primetime. Right, we know that night games and the whole thing just doesn't mesh well with him. Do we actually know that, or were you just running with the narrative? Running with the narrative. Okay. How do we feel about morning games, though? Do you think it's going to have the opposite effect? Because we know like one o'clock's this nice safe time, but we're talking nine thirty Eastern, and uh, you know Kirk's like he's a morning guy. You know he's up at six with the kids and the whole thing. What if he goes off because it's nine thirty? It has the opposite effect of of primetime Kirk. Yeah. This is the analysis I'm, I'm bringing to the it's, table here. It's, it's impressive. Um, I mean, it's entirely possible. You, you, there was a video on NFL's YouTube channel um, with Steve Smith, friend of the show. Steve was investigating the, the sort of nutritional stuff going on with the Vikings. And Kirk Cousins wanders in and proceeds to tell him about, you know, he'd, he'd taken lessons from some list that Steve Smith wrote years ago about, like, how to extend your time in the NFL, how to you know, maintain everything. And Kirk was essentially running through all the things that he doesn't eat, you know, try to be dairy free. I try to be nut free. I try to be, he was, was like nightshade free or something like that, which to him is potatoes or anyway, the man doesn't eat an awful lot. You know what I mean? We're, we're a salad man only, which I think tallies perfectly with the Kirk cousins, you know, the, the, the general ambiance of Kirk cousins, right? Business handshakes, salads, this is this is Kirk Cousins. So yeah, a balling at nine a.m. Eastern makes a lot of sense. 
you know, I'm up at that time anyway. I've been, yeah. I've walked the dog. I've, you know, had had a nutritious breakfast. I've got the kids ready. So you're bringing some data points to back me up here. I mean, I wouldn't Basically. go that far. I'm just, I'm finding a ridiculous video that would appear to tally with what you're trying to say. <laughs> so Minnesota, definitely. I mean, New Orleans still has a very good defense. I can't figure out the Saints offense, which is why a part of me wants to think, well, it's just, it's going to look different just because they're, they're just mixing it up here with Dalton. It's, it's just going to look different. Like Winston. <laughs> you think the shock value of the red rifle is going to. I mean, they've just been so inept in the first half. And then two out of three games in the second half, they at least showed signs of life in New Orleans. The other one was against the Bucs. And Jameis kept throwing the ball to defense and missing throws. I don't know. I think Dalton's going to play better. Can we give some love to James Hurst, by the way? Yes, do it. James Hurst wasn't even supposed to be a starter for the Saints. But Trevor Penning gets hurt in preseason. Left tackle injury. Yeah. And uh, so James Hurst has had to, uh, had to fill in as a starting left tackle. And in three games, he's given up three pressures. Um, he's got a pass-blocking grade of at least 78 in every single game. And that's now a reasonably extensive period of grading for James Hurst, where he's been good. I, I remember saying, I think it was before they drafted Trevor Penning, when all the talk was, you know, the moves that they've made to get two first-round picks because they're going to get a wide receiver and a left tackle. I do remember thinking at the time, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hate giving Hurst a shot for a year, you know, until you figure out something. Like, instead of trading back into the first round to get another first-round pick because you need two positions right now, maybe keep your first-round pick next year and just get the left tackle then, give James Hurst a shot for a year. I don't think that will go badly. And Look at him backing you up, too. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be in a rush to get James Hurst out of the starting lineup. All right, so who are you picking in this one? Minnesota at New Orleans. Uh, I'm buying into your Kirk Cousins 9 a.m. narrative. Minnesota. My two narratives are fighting here. I've got 9 a.m. Kirk against Red Rifle stealing the ginger theory. But he's up against two other gingers over the weekend. Now, admittedly, he gets first crack at it. Yeah, that's what's throwing me off. I'll take Minnesota. Kirk. um, Breakfast Kirk. Better than primetime Kirk. Breakfast Kirk. Yes. Can't mess with breakfast Kirk. I kind of hope he goes off so this becomes a thing. <laughs> like the, the Vikings start like lobbying the NFL for, for every games. London game. Yeah. Yeah. We'll take it. We'll take, take all of them. Yeah. We'll they, move. They're like, they'll, you know, the, the deal that the Jags have, you know, nobody's, yeah. nobody's at our games anyway. We'll be the so, silly nannies. Right. We'll, we'll take, take We'll take London because nobody's showing up to our home games. Tennessee Titans at the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts are favored by three and a half. Ooh, three and a half for the Colts. Do you feel good about the Colts after they beat the Chiefs? I don't feel good about anybody in that division. One, one, and one, the Colts against the one and two Tennessee Titans. Yeah. AFC South heavyweight battle here. The, um, I mean, both teams, I don't want to say they saved their season, but they saved potential disaster last week. And uh, the winner could be in first place at the end of the day here. Yeah. Um, If the Jaguars lose to the heavily favored Eagles. This is a kind of interesting one when you think that you know, Tennessee was the number one seed last year. They obviously won the division. Um, over the course of the offseason, the confidence level, the Vegas odds swung in the direction of Indianapolis. It was like, hey, the Colts did a better job in the offseason than the Titans. They've overtaken them in the division. They had the Matt Ryan thing, everything else that happened. So they started off the season, I think, as favorites. Um, and then over the course of the first few weeks, they've both looked pretty bad. And off the back of last week, you know, factoring in where this game is in Indianapolis, the Colts are three-and-a-half-point favorites. 
for me, and I was with Vegas in terms of I thought Indianapolis had jumped the Titans over the course of the offseason. I, I thought they should have been favored to the division going into the year. I am more confident in Tennessee after three games than I am for Indianapolis, even though I'm not like I'm less confident for both of them. You know, both of them have gone backwards in my in my estimation, but I'm more confident in the Titans than I am with the Colts. Really? Yeah. More confident in the Titans. Yeah. I mean, so they at least have shown that their skill position players are still good, which is a pretty big starting point. T- Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry, um, the Robert Woods has started to show life after his injury. Traylon Burks is not well, we exactly— We just got Michael Pittman back last week. He made some, some okay, big plays for the Colts. That's one. And there's one other big one. Jonathan Taylor. Jelani Woods. <laughs> Jelani Woods. You see the Jonathan Taylor stat? But missing this practice. first mispractice ever. Yeah. yeah, pretty impressive. It is kind of pointless, but very impressive that a running back has never missed a practice. Just a nice nugget. Yeah, he dating back like in his career, like high school, college, and now the NFL. This is his first mispractice. I wonder if he knew that. Oh, he knows. Yeah, because yeah. that would if if That's I, like a person like a person who has perfect attendance in school knows that he has perfect attendance. I mean, yeah, I never did, so I. Didn't know Me that neither. ever. I was always like, you need a few days off in there, you know? Get sick once or twice a year, a couple days off, get in a late baseball game, you get to miss the next day. You know, I'm a seven or eight day off type of guy okay. at school. Yeah. Never strove to be that perfect attendance person, but I knew no. those people. They're like, I never miss a day. Yeah. And then you have the person that's like sick every you other week. You get week. those people of like, I haven't taken a day off work in 27 years. Like, really? Yeah. Idiots. Why? Stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Take a break, man. Yeah. I mean, so... There's one thing to be like, I strive to be at work whenever I can. But there's also a thing of like, in 27 years, there are definitely days where you should not have been at work. You know? That's outside of vacations, people are bragging. Like, they still take vacations, right? I don't know. They just didn't didn't have sick days. I don't know. But either way, there are days in in that many years where you absolutely should not have been there. You know what I mean? And you still have showed up. PFF Ben Stockwell over here bragging about, uh, he hasn't missed a work day since, uh, since PFF started in 08. Yeah. And if he does, exactly. the whole thing falls apart. Uh-huh. That's honest. what I'm saying. Like he should have taken a day off somewhere along yeah, the line. Yeah, Ben, take a day off. Like not today because we need you. You know, games tonight. But take a day off one time. Hey, today he'd probably take off. Just not tomorrow. What if he just leaves? He's like, you're right. Going on sabbatical. I'm out. Yeah. If Ben goes on sabbatical, PFF doesn't exist. Unlimited PTO. I'm gone. See you. See you in June. We do have unlimited PTO. What a perk we got here. What was the question? I don't know. Titans and Colts. Yeah. I'm at that so, point in the show, Sam, where we're just gonna. As I said, I'm more confident in Tennessee than Indianapolis. You think that's madness? No, I just I, neither teams impressed me. Really. Yeah, well, as I say, they both went point. backwards, but I'm more confident by them. I think the Colts should look better, though. Um, I still don't know what to make of Matt Ryan. You know, he's he's got this interesting mix of you know made a few a few big throws last week, but at the same time, any kind of blitz. You, blitz protection and all that stuff isn't always on the offensive line right the narrative this entire offseason was like oh my gosh matt ryan is like the most the smartest quarterback we've ever been around you know he knows he knows everything he's changing the offense well he couldn't even pick up a blitz last week with his offensive line they couldn't even communicate and pick up an overload blitz against the chiefs and i worry about that against this titans defense the way they like to play so i don't know if i'm with you that like hey i feel better about the titans i've still I, i gotta i gotta learn more about matt ryan if he's, you know, not cliff-worthy, but, you know, if he's losing it here. I, I, again, I want to reiterate and be clear. I don't feel good about either of them 
just saying more good about Tennessee than the Colts. Better? Yeah. Got they're it. they're both not good, but the Colts or the Titans are less not good than the Colts. Beautiful. I'll take the Titans this week with you. What do we say? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Tennessee. I think the Titans schemed up pass rush against the Colts. And I know Matt Ryan hit some some plays against the Blitz and all that stuff last week. The schemed up pass rush from the Titans against the Colts is the difference in this one. And, you know, Chris Jones probably won't trash talk to prolong the game-winning draft this week. Probably not. Colts, oh, Certainly not in this game. Halfway through. We got a half hour to go. 45 minutes. We got this. Denver Broncos at the Las Vegas Raiders. Raiders favored by two and a half here. Mm. Raiders. The 0-3 Raiders are favored by two and a half. Which is another According one. to this document. I checked. This was another one that was weird <laughs> enough that I was like, really? The Raiders are favored by two and a half? According to whatever you copied over. The but 0-3 yeah, Raiders. I guess it's real. Are favored by two and a half against the 2-1 and one Denver Broncos. I need to put out my power rankings, by the way. My power rankings are going to be 3-0. So I'm just, I'm literally, I, I'm going to do it later. I'm just going to put the standings. No, just you're, you're, you're powering. It would piss more people off if you didn't. If you actually went, Denver, like the Bears, two and one, they suck, so they're not. No, ranking. Bears, Bears are probably twelfth in the league. My entire Twitter stream right now is just people writing two and one in response to a Justin Fields stat. It's like they refuse to acknowledge that everything is not rosy because they've won two games. I, I am always fascinated by fan bases who are like they're either really optimistic or really pessimistic. Yeah. I feel like, you know, the Bears are the optimistic, you know? Not always. I mean, it's just, you just... They it, are. Like, they, they were, Trubisky was the next big thing four years ago. No, they just, every year you stake out, you know, you put your line and you say, this is where I am. I am this. I am defending this standpoint. I got you. Okay. And I don't care what happens. So you start off, it's like, no, actually, Trubisky's way better than you think. And then it's like, Matt Nagy needs to be shot. Because he's destroying everything about the Nagy, Bears. Right. And then this year, it's like, no. Matt everything... Nagy kicks babies and the whole thing. Right. Yeah. We're 2-1. Justin Fields is fine. Don't worry about it. Even though he's got 297 passing yards in three games, which is like a historically wretched outcome. Okay. So where are we going in this one? Vegas by two and a half. God, that's a lot. I mean, it's not even a lot. It's just them being favored over anybody right now. It's Broncos pretty... are 2-0 the last two weeks by scoring 23 points. This is another one where I don't feel good about either of these two teams. But I think you probably have to feel slightly better about the Broncos and the Raiders, right? Like, both offenses are underachieving to an incredible degree. I don't understand. You talk about sometimes the, uh, the whole being worth more than the sum of its parts, you know? Yeah. The Raiders' whole is worth so much less than the sum of its parts to a degree that doesn't make any sense. It's like somewhere in the middle, there's like a giant – somewhere in that equation – all the talent is leaking out, and the end is not justifying the collection of players that they have. Denver is a similar story, but I think for slightly different reasons. But then on the other, like Denver actually has a good defense. The Raiders' defense isn't great. Like I don't really understand how they're favored. If you told me Mac Hollins was going to go off in three weeks with 14 catches for 240, is Mac Hollins right now the guy? The guy we were describing yesterday, the, the Travis Fulgham and all that. Like Mac Hollins is going to be six weeks in a cloud of dust. He's going to be gone. Well, maybe, but the thing that makes no sense is if you, like, if you were in painting that scenario for somebody, you know, okay, three weeks into the season, Mac Hollins is going to have a ton of yards and and, uh, and catches, and he's going to look great. You would say, okay, so something like what happened to the Bucks receivers has happened, correct? Like. The Raiders are missing everybody. 
and the only buddy left, the only person left is Matt Collins, and that's why he's putting up all these numbers. But, but that's not – somehow he's doing that in an offense with Devontae Adams and uh, Darren, Waller, Darren Waller and Hunter, Hunter Renfro, Renfro and Derek Carr. Like, if you had told me what's happening. If you had told me that, I would have said that is exactly what the Chiefs have needed the last couple of years. The Chiefs had Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey, and all they needed – was like the Demarcus Robinsons or Byron Pringles of the world to just but that's the other Sammy thing. Watkins did once in a while to just go off when the opportunities were given. But that's the other thing. If so, the first reaction to that would be, well, that makes no sense. So everybody must be injured for that to be happening. No, that's not what's happening. Well, then my second reaction would be, oh, well, then they're they're doing well because the only way that makes any sense is if teams are trying to take away everything else and Matt Collins is the guy that's going off because of it. Like every week so far has been his Sammy Watkins game, you know, when their teams are doubling Kelsey and Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins goes off for 180. But that's not happening either. <laughs> Nothing makes sense about this. Like the, the, the great players they have are not firing. The good, the, the guys that are supposed to be bit parts of the offense are firing and it's not working. What the hell is happening to the Raiders offense? I don't know. I have no answers. I, th- I mean, I was, I was wrong about Derek Carr in this offense. I thought it, I had the same question marks about the offensive line that you've had. I thought Derek Carr would, you know, you, they, they, I always say that you have to extract a little aggressiveness out of him. I think you, I think you would have had that with Devontae Adams. After one week, my concern was maybe he's going to be locked in on him too much and then yeah. he's not locked in and not like he's not finding that balance of just playing football. Like if Derek Carr just goes out and plays football, Devontae Adams will get his, Darren Waller will get his, apparently Mac Hollins will go off every now and again, <laughs> and Hunter Renfro's there on the underneath stuff. That is, that should be a spectacular offense if they could protect half decent. It should be, and it will be. Raiders bounce back this week. I don't know. Yeah, George's George's old axiom: I'd take the the better quarterback getting getting points. I don't know who that is anymore. Is Russell Wilson the better quarterback getting points? I, Derek Carr has a passing grade of fifty eight point six. I don't have Russ's directly in front of me, but it is in a similar. Now, if you want to be fifty eight point six versus sixty one point two, if you want to be optimistic about the Raiders, um, Derek Carr's grade has improved every week. Now, <laughs> that's me. I'm optimistic. It went from 42, and pretty bad, to 59, still bad, to 74. But if it, you know, c- continues on that track, this will be a pretty good week. Like 86. Now we're cooking. The next week will be the best quarterback in the NFL. Yeah. I don't know if that's how it's going to work, though. I I, I really want because we we I know we focus so much on offenses. I really want to believe in the Raiders this week. Broncos defense has been legit, though. Yeah. They've got the number three pass rush behind the Bills and the Cowboys. That's what this and game is. And you feel it, right? You, I, I can feel Randy Gregory and Bradley Chubb playing well. Like you could, like it, you feel that as, a, as like a, say, a fan of an opposing, when you're playing the Broncos, you could, you're like, hey, they're coming, right? They're getting some pressure this year, playing well on the back end as well. This Broncos defense, I, I thought they might miss Vic Fangio. They haven't so far. They're talented. They're playing well. That, it's honestly the defense – and the fact that I still do think Russell Wilson, I think Russell Wilson and Derek Carr are both better than what they've showed. Yeah. So if they both turn it around here, week four, five, six, whenever it is, they will. Like, I believe that. But I think it's the Broncos defense that I'm starting to buy into that um, is going to have me lean Broncos here. That's the differentiator for me in this game. I, both offenses are way underperforming. Both quarterbacks are way underperforming. Nothing is functioning properly for either one of these offenses. Um, 
there are a lot of problems. So you look at the other side of the ball, you know, well, Denver's defense is much better than the Raiders. Therefore, that's where I'm leaning. Like, if, if I can't trust either offense, I'm going to have to focus on defense. And Denver clearly has a better defense. Yeah, man, this is it's a crazy one for the Raiders because we were right when Josh McDaniels took over, we were like, hey, do they just do they punt on this year? And they were like, nope, we're, we're trading for Devontae Adams, we're signing Chandler Jones and all this stuff. They're not punting on anything. Now they're in danger of going 0-4 in an AFC West that might not be as formidable as we thought, but it's still a difficult AFC. I mean, you still have good teams there. But it's Josh McDaniel started his career in Denver, 6-0. He's in danger of falling 0-4 here with his Raiders start. Mm. So where are you going? Uh, Denver. You're taking Denver too? Yeah. All right. We've been in lockstep these last four games here. I'm sure we'll nail them. Cleveland Browns at the Atlanta Falcons. Browns favored by one and a half in Atlanta in the Dome. What do you like in this one? Uh, I like the game. I think this is a sneaky, fun game. Um, and I think I'm going to say that about every Falcons game this season. Yeah. I, I just, that offense is so fun to watch. I don't even care that their defense stinks. It's now one point, by the way. Uh, Down to one. Yes. All right. Doesn't mean anything. Is at least the same way. So it hasn't swung dramatically, but yeah, it's one. Um, yeah, look, I, I really like this Falcons offense. I think it's so good to watch the collection of playmakers they have, the design of the offense, it's it's good. And the fact that their defense still isn't isn't good, it actually makes their games more fun because they're probably going to put up some points. I don't know if they're going to do a great job of stopping anybody. And now they're going up against a Jacoby Brissett-led Browns offense, which itself hasn't been too bad. The Browns are able to run the ball well. They're able – they're uh, – what, they, they lead the NFL in rushing yardage. And Jacoby Brissett is – on the back of two good games one spectacular one that we talked about on yesterday's podcast and one before that that was really good right up until he threw it away so i actually think this game's going to be a good one i feel like a broken record but everybody on the browns is questionable uh-huh jeremiah wusakoromoa he's uh groin injury he's kind of a game time decision according to him you got tackle Jedrick Wills, defensive tackle Taven Bryan, Anthony Walker has been pushed uh, to injury reserve after his quad yep. injury. Miles Garrett had the the one car uh, car accident. Yeah, mangled his Porsche. Yes, and his shoulder biceps did not practice yesterday. I assume that's from the crash. I mean, it would be a pretty big coincidence to just be injured at the same time randomly. Yeah, well, not really. Everybody's injured, but Jadavian Clowney ankle questionable jack conklin joel batonio joe haig denzel ward it's their entire starting team i don't know what to make of that good analysis yeah thanks yeah. i'm just just repeating the guys the falcons did they not put out an injury report per espn we've got nobody on their they just have a bunch of guys in injured reserve maybe they're all healthy the falcons um yeah they are i mean with drake london's emergence and you saw kyle pitts making plays last week right and then yeah. cordell patterson right just uh, Seattle's run defense was atrocious, but he takes he takes advantage of it and creates some big plays. They are fun, and as long as Mariota doesn't get in his own way, um, they are fun. They're they're going to be the fun Falcons. I think what I'm watching with the Falcons is how well does that defense come together as the season goes on. Dean is running that defense. He's got a pretty good history and track record. It's just that the talent doesn't appear to be there hmm. on that side of the ball. It isn't, I mean, and. Um, but do they start to gel? Does he does he outcoach the talent? Basically, I, I think it's it's been a struggle there in Atlanta for a few years. Even when Raheem Morris took over late in 2020, it was Dan's Quinn, Dan Quinn's defense. 
they have just not had the talent on that side of the ball outside of a couple players. Um, all that said, I like Jacoby Brissett. I like the way he's playing. I think he comes back down to earth a little bit here. Plus all those, all those Cleveland injuries. I mean, I like it does it. feel like, yeah. So Brissett, I think, is in a very good situation for him to be the best version of himself that we've seen in the NFL. That being said, outside of that one play at the end of the Jets game, it does kind of feel like we've been riding the high end of what he's capable of, and we're going to get a couple more of like, oh, no, Jacoby, what was that? I don't know when that's going to come. It's going to be at some point, right? Yeah. We did have, we did a daily earlier this week discussing Jacoby Brissett and if it keeps the Browns in not just playoff contention, but Super Bowl contention. Yeah. That's how they label Like, Brissett's big problem is if he makes one or two of those plays, he doesn't make enough big plays to offset them. So yeah. if, he has the, if he has one of those, it's probably enough to lose the game. It could be another week, though, where Jacoby just plays mistake-free football, doesn't, doesn't miss a ton of throws. And it's uh, it's looking, you know, he's looking good. But uh, I'll, I'm going to take Atlanta here. I'm going to take Atlanta with all the Cleveland injuries. I think it's going to be too too tough for Brissett and the offense to overcome here. I I'm going to lean Browns, even though I think the Falcons will put up some points. All right, Seattle Seahawks at the Detroit Lions. Lions are favored by four here. At home. Yep. One and two versus one and two here. Yeah. Um, Seattle's defense is is bad, <laughs> very bad. They are second to last in EPA per play and scoring drive rate allowed. You know, like team yeah. score on their drives at the second best rate in the NFL when they play Seattle. Uh, can they slow down this Detroit offense at all? Which has been a pretty good offense over like overall, despite Jared Goff being the quarterback. Yeah, I mean, so DeAndre Swift is he definitely out? for the Lions I believe so yeah he's averaging over eight per carry um he has been they've been doing a great job schematically just at the run game right I mean the the Detroit offense we always talk about mismatches in the pass game let's get this guy on this mismatch on this corner or whatever it is Detroit's creating run game mismatches they're like out gapping teams and just it's it's really fun to watch but DeAndre Swift has been the beneficiary there and and part of you know creating the the big plays there so detroit's got their own issues because swift wasn't practicing thursday i'm on ross st brown also not practicing thursday he continues to play really well dj chark not practicing thursday at receiver so whole bunch of guys questionable here tj hawkinson josh reynolds lions are falling apart as well <laughs> why falling apart um, they've Why been, is I mean, everybody in the world questionable? I, I don't know. They've been down a few important players for a while. Their thing, though, is that the guys they bring in have still been really good at the the area that they need them to be good at. So they've when they Vitai going down, the drop off between Vitai and his backups is pretty huge, actually. Um, but it's concentrated at pass blocking. And the Lions have been doing a really good job of being so dominant on the ground, in part because those backups on the offensive line have been run-blocking well, that they're able to stay ahead of the chains and not put them into so many bad positions in terms of pass-blocking. So the fact that there's a big drop-off has actually been minimized by the way that they've been impressive with the, the backup guys. So I actually I don't think that the Seattle defense can slow down Detroit's offense at all. And then it... it, it it flips on the other side is what can Detroit's defense do against Geno yeah so um, really quick Seattle's defense number seven uh, seventh worst pass uh, pass rushing grade 
second worst coverage grade second worst run defense grade uh fourth worst run defense grade and you mentioned second worst in epa per play yeah other side gino's playing pretty well overall he's playing pretty well he threw the ball to the defense a couple times last week got away with a couple but gino continues to to distribute and play well and I, again i know tyler lockett was banged up for them he started to find dk more than he than he had in the earlier weeks I th- the seahawks i think just have to lean into that like dk metcalf has to be a downfield threat for the seahawks but geno smith i think he's i think he's was he completing 77 percent of his passes or something ridiculous like that he's just not missing a ton of throws he's at 77.5 percent through three weeks you know and it's not just it's not all short stuff they've definitely had a more conservative offense he started to stretch the field a little bit more last week did a nice job Gino's not taking the sacks that he usually does right he's usually one of those guys with the way we describe uh Tannehill or Brissett or a Mariota it's like hey you know they just take a lot of negative plays a Wentz Gino's not doing that right now so that's the one thing I think that can keep Seattle in this game um Geno Smith did have a couple turnover-worthy plays, like I said last week, but he's, he's almost like Stafford-ish right now. Everything that he – when he misses, it's it's right to the defense so far. His accuracy has been just fantastic. So I think this this is a sneaky good game as well if you're just looking for entertainment value. The Lions are always entertaining. Four feels like a lot, but I just don't trust that Seahawks defense on the road in the dome. Yeah. By the way, matchup-wise, two first-rounders, Aiden Hutchinson going up against Charles Cross. True. Fun to watch, too. Um and even Detroit. the other side as well. I mean, Aiden Hutchinson moves around left to right on that, on that defense. Oh, yeah, against Abraham Lucas as well. So yeah. it'll be rookie on rookie crime, whatever happens. Oh, man, I don't know. The mash unit, every team, I don't want to bet on the teams that are all mash units here. I'm going Detroit. I don't think that Seattle can slow them down. Give me Detroit. All right, uh, New England Patriots at the Green Bay Packers. Packers by nine and a half. Mac Jones is out. Is he officially out? I mean, he's out. It's got to be a The ankle injury. Yeah. Which means Brian, what's his real name? Axel. Axel. What is his name? It's there's Axel something. Rose Hoyer. No, it's not Axel Rose. Axel Edward Brian Hoyer is his full name. I mean, dude, if you rolled with that, he'd be a ten-year starter, not a ten-year backup. Axel Hoyer would not be a backup in the NFL. Axel Hoyer would be a starter. Would be dragging some team to the postseason would be gritty getting it done that's what i'm saying we wouldn't be concerned that the line wouldn't be moving in the wrong direction with axel at quarterback is these this is the solution to everything here mac jones is the only player in the nfl that's listed as doubtful it's the only guy i've seen that's doubtful <laughs> so far wasn't spotted at practice on Thursday. i would have listed him as doubtful the second i saw him injure his ankle given his pain level now there was a point the last time we saw brian hoyer for a while was 2017 there was a point in brian hoyer's career where if you played him pre-Halloween, he was pretty good. Yeah. And then it was like, once he got into November and December, not so hot. Wheels fell off pretty quickly. It was something like a 90 passer rating down to like 40 or something. <laughs> I mean, it was like a ridiculous. So you never, if you get early season Hoyer here, which it is, hmm. Patriots have a chance. He's another one of those players, though, where this happens a lot of the time where these guys hang around as backup quarterbacks for years uh, based off you know a stretch where they played as a starter and they were okay or good and then we're like oh this, this is one of the best backups in the nfl like we're we're laughing here but then they like at some point they age you know <laughs> it's like well how long can you sit on the bench for and deteriorate and just sort of fester before you're no longer that guy you know like for years matt moore 
had that where he was a great yeah. backup quarterback. And I then like he sat there for so many years that he finally got on again. It's like, ooh, that's not – that doesn't look like hey, he, he still used to. Played, he still played well with the Matt Chiefs. Matt Castle, years, same yeah. thing. Matt Castle built a career off like one year and then just languished on the bench for a decade. But uh, towards the end, it's like, well, that's not the same guy. He's done. He's been done for years. Just nobody noticed because he hasn't thrown the ball. I, I don't know whether that's true or not for Axel Hoyer, but it could be. Like the last time we saw him was 2017. It was a long time ago. He did have that spot start in 2020. 2017, I had hair. Yours was yeah. black. You know, there's a lot of things have changed since 2017. <laughs> Mine could still be black in a couple weeks. Yeah, and I could still have hair if I after wore a I wig. See, I mean, you know. After seeing Liz. Uh, Brian Hoyer did have a spot start in 2020 against the Chiefs. Axel, please. Uh, Axel Hoyer. Well, Axel wouldn't have gone 15 for 24 for 130 and a pick. Probably Brian did, though. Yeah. Um, in that game, the Chiefs pulled away and won 26 to 10. But it, it, it feels like one of those, right, where the Patriots, Patriots defense in that game actually did a great job against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. They're playing Rodgers and the Packers this time around. And it feels like one of those games, right, where the Patriots defense is going to have to step up. Last week, I don't think we mentioned it at the time, but the Packers were unstoppable on their first two drives. Didn't score the rest of the way, including a goal line fumble. That has shown up every now and again in the Matt LaFleur era, right? Where they're, they're like really good, the Packers offense, for, scripted early in the game. And for whatever reason, they just don't play well in the second half or beyond that, they just don't move the ball nearly as well. That, I mean, I, I think that's if you're a, a Patriots fan, you're kind of like banking on that, right? Like kind of hold them off, hope that the, the Belichicks scheme it up really well and Hoyer doesn't make any mistakes and you just you sneak a few big plays and just kind of keep it close. So I could kind of see that happening. The Packers get up early. The Patriots figure them out a little bit. It keeps it close. But at the bottom, at the end of the day, it's Aaron Rodgers versus Brian Hoyer. Rodgers <laughs> throwing the ball extremely well right now. He was not very good in week one. But I don't think – it wasn't like week one last year, right? Like he was just bad last year. Right now, it, I think the offense was just trying to figure things out early on. He's throwing the ball well, Rodgers. I think he's going to be fine. And I think they cover the nine and a half. Hmm. I, I'm just painting this picture of the Patriots could play it tough, but you're banking on Belichick being like defensive coach God to keep it close. Yeah. I see. I think the line makes a ton of sense because, you know, Rodgers versus Axel Hoyer. But, but if this line, if this was week 15, isn't this line like 14? Isn't it way more? It feels Maybe. like you have bigger lines later in the year. Yeah, I, I mean, I feels get low. It, I think it's large and it makes sense. And the reason you would be sort of saying, you know, New England covers it is because Bill Belichick's defense and all that kind of stuff. But like, it might not be as bad as I said it was going to be heading into the season, but it's average at best right now, their defense. So even if Rodgers is dealing with our receivers, the Belichick defense right now is is a rank average unit and they've got brian hoyer at quarterback and the app kind of likes the patriots plus nine and a half here. i know and i get but why I think, but it's i think the app is i think they factored in axel i think they threw the name in there oh okay that's why i just i hate over under for this one's 40 by the way yeah another really low one i am gonna bet on the patriots and hate every second of it really yeah all right i'll I'm take gonna, the packers i'm not going against axel I'll take the Packers, comf Packers comfortably, but if it's one of those, like, I mean, if it's, if it's 17 to 10 or something like that, where yeah. the Pack Packers are up 17 to nothing, and then it's 17 to 10, they win. 
And then the other thing is the lower the, you know, that uh, over under, the lower the scoring, the harder it is to cover nine and a half. Yeah. All right. We've got four more games to discuss here. Arizona Cardinals at the Carolina Panthers. Panthers by one and a half. Is that right as well? You're going to make me check every single one of these when we get to the game. Two now. Packers to, I mean, Panthers to two here, huh? Yeah. Man. Panthers, um, I mean, they won last week. It's, what a weird way to describe it. I mean, the, the Panthers offense this year has been, remember week one, Baker Mayfield in the offense that couldn't move the ball. And then there's just like a 65 yarder to Ian Thomas. Last week, same thing, right? It's just a random quick smoke screen to LaVisca Chenault for 67. And he's got two catches for 90 yards. It is it's a rough offense in Carolina outside of a few freak plays right now. Yeah, their offense is terrible. It's relying on a couple of guys making some athletic plays to get anything going. Um, their offense reminds me a lot of... You know, in the Irish league, nobody has time to practice, right? People, it's like a, it's an amateur thing people are doing in their spare time. So I've always thought that the best way of running an offense in the Irish league is to just have like five plays, you know, and just drill those five plays to, so you out execute everybody. Like Novocaine. Well, like like the NFL, but in the fifties and sixties, you know, where you just the, the Packers, the Packers dynasty with Vince Manning, Lombardi dude. was built off mastering the the toss sweep, right? It's like we're just going to execute this better than you can stop it. And we're going to drill it every day in practice. And we are going to master this play so well that we're just going to out-execute you every single time. I don't, you can't do that anymore because everybody executes well, generally. you know. Um, but the lower level you go in football, the more that's applicable. That simply executing your thing reasonably well is enough to win. So that's what the Panthers, they're running this offense. That's like, well, if we just execute these plays better than you, we're going to win. Yeah, but you're not, and you don't have anything else, so you stink. <laughs> like that's the, they're running this offense that looks like it belongs at a level of football two or three levels lower than this, and it's consequently not functioning. You stink. Yeah. That's what you're telling the Panthers. I mean, their offense does stink. It does. I'm not telling them anything that the numbers don't tell them. Baker's got, what, the second-worst grade in the NFL? Is that right? Yeah. Just ahead of um, Justin Fields. Oh, we'll get there. We'll get there to Fields. Yeah, this is the worst. This is the worst Baker Mayfield's ever played here. Yeah, combined with the including offense when he was playing with a broken shoulder. Yeah, this is worse. It is. Can they turn it around? Can they get any better? The Panthers' I mean, offense should be better. Yeah, but it won't be if they don't change the offense, which no. is running a system that looks like it belongs at a level of football where people have other jobs. The defense is looking decent for Carolina. And it's not looking so good for Arizona. This could be the time for the Panthers to, uh, to come alive here just a little bit. The Cardinals have a 41 defense grade on the PFF, um, PFF premium stats 2.0, 29.6 in coverage, both the worst numbers in the NFL by a pretty healthy margin. And I think all of that is the reason why the Panthers are favored in this game. This is, I mean, you gave you gave Baker an ultimatum a couple weeks ago. Like, if he doesn't do it this week, this yeah, is it. I'm out. I mean, this is like really, if they don't. Oh, no, I'm already out. I'm done. What? I'm already out. I'm done. Oh, you could be out on him. I'm just saying, like, if the Panthers' offense doesn't move the ball this week at home against the Cardinals' defense, then they're in trouble. Yeah. More than they are. <laughs> oh, more than right now. Where's their offense grade? Third worst in the NFL, 60.6. Um, and then you've got Kyler. 
I mean, this is this is your Oklahoma matchup here. Kyler Baker, number one overall pick. Number matchup. one overall pick. Number one versus number one. I love those. That looked a lot better a while ago <laughs> than it does now. I mean, Kyler still looks fine. I, I think he's still good. He's still fine. I, I, I think Arizona's offseason moves have caught up to them, man. Not having DeAndre Hopkins out there hurts. But they their defense got worse this offseason. I'm not saying we're right about everything. But good. coming into the season, the, the few teams that st- stood out as getting worse, Arizona, Tennessee, Dallas, yeah, pretty much have in the areas that we were talking about. Right, I feel like Dallas is going to stay afloat because Micah Parsons is superhuman, and the residual effect of that is is significant. But Arizona got worse; they got worse this off season. They're now underdogs at Carolina, who can't make a first down outside of a fluke play. Give me Arizona. Yeah. All that said, better quarterback getting points. I'm not, I can't buy into an offense that doesn't look like it's designed for this level of football. Kyler Murray's dropped back 151 times through three games. They did have, I'm not saying you're going to strive for balance on offense, but he's dropped back 151 times, averaging 5.6 yards per attempt. They, there's, he's much better when there's a semblance of a run game, there's a, and he's throwing the ball down the field, not just all underneath stuff right now. There also needs to be, like I think there needs to be more of a, Kyler needs to be in the run game. Yes. Like designed. All of it. Um, remember, like, was it a couple of years ago? He had an absolute ton of rushing success. I think then, Rondell's back, by the way, speaking of short game. Wow. Is that a pun? Oh, no. That was, that's an average depth of target joke. See. Not a height joke. Okay. Okay. That's because they don't throw the ball. They throw short to Rondell, not he's a short person. Because it would have been a good pun. I'm just saying. Like, that that would have been a good joke. Could be a double entendre. It could be. It's probably not. All right, give me Arizona. We explained that it isn't. We have 15 minutes. We got a hard out at 2.30. What? You better get a move on that. Jets and Steelers. I got Steelers radio this afternoon. I'm going to pick the Steelers to win by a a million. That's what I do on Steelers radio. I know my audience. (laughs) Speaking of optimistic fans, uh, the one and two Steelers, we got, this could be Zach Wilson against Kenny Pickett, but it's Zach Wilson against Mitchell Trubisky. Hey, Trubisky played pretty well on the Thursday night game. Another one of those examples, I think, when he made a good throw, it fell incomplete. Yeah. He tried to throw the ball down the field a little bit more. He was fine in that game. Yes. There's, there's a disconnect there, though. Trubisky, you know, I don't, like when, I don't like when this happens. We talked about Cousins kind of like breaks things. He could play well and not win games and the whole thing. Trubisky has this knack for like he, when he plays the best, his offenses do the worst. <laughs> and when he plays poorly, his offenses do well. Hmm. That's what I've seen. Doesn't feel useful. Like when he's actually more accurate and all that stuff, it's like it's it's part of this disjointed offense. And then, you know, he didn't play well in the years that the Bears were moving the ball. That one year, 2018, got kind of lucky. So, Zach Wilson's probably coming back for this game. Yes, I'm excited. The Jets' offensive line is in ribbons. I'm not excited about that part. I want to see Zach Wilson with the entire supporting cast. Though. Yeah, they're going up against Pittsburgh. This feels like a game where Zach Wilson comes back looks like an absolute garbage no but who's pittsburgh rushing besides cam hayward does it matter look at the jets offensive line you could be out there and get six pressures i mean i got a good rip move <laughs> you, think you could take down george Fant. cameron hayward's the only one in that defensive front grading above 70 right now yeah 
But as I said, it, it won't matter. I'm sorry. And, and Alex, uh, Alex Highsmith on the edge. Yeah. The I, I'm, more, I'm more likely to say, hey, Minka, Minka's going to be like locked in on Zach Wilson, going to grab, maybe pick off a couple passes here. Jets' offensive line have given up by far the most pressure in the NFL so far this season. They have the third worst pass blocking efficiency number ahead of only Seattle and Chicago, who barely pass the ball. So they've got a small sample size issue going there. They're worse than the Giants. Like they, they're, their line is bad. Yeah, that could be a rough, a rough return for Zach Wilson. I, I don't know that he's just gonna like magically be that much better, but I can't wait to watch. And also his remember, here. every every statistical sign and the tape, you know, that's where it came from. But every sign from Zach Wilson's rookie season was this dude is overwhelmed by what's happening right now and making everything worse because of it. You're then putting him in to an offensive line that that's bad right now going up against Pittsburgh defense, which, okay, isn't what it used to be, but it's still more than capable of making a mess for a young quarterback struggling. I don't know. We like Everyone's going to be excited because it's Zach Wilson back. He's got some receivers to throw to. Like, yay, excitement. He's not Joe Flacco. It feels like a game where you might get reminded just how far away Zach Wilson looked the last time we saw him. Yeah, I think you're talking me into that a little bit. Um, the other side, I think Pittsburgh's close offensively. I was actually somewhat more encouraged by at least – chucking it downfield a little bit more in the last game when you <laughs> terrible numbers average depth of target for trubisky 9.3 not bad what because he, because last week they were throwing down the field only 5.4 yards per attempt this season but it was his best passing game last week it didn't always connect i think it's going to connect this week because you know they had three drops and his, some of his best throws just fell incomplete the other day mm-hmm. pittsburgh's going to play better offensively this week okay the jets are a little bit more hit hit or miss on the defense still having communication issues and things there i like their defense though it's 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 got some talent now yes like last season they just had nobody good the talent is much better even just like the the grades are better gotta gotta fix the miscommunications the busted coverages and things that the jets have had the last couple weeks a couple years give me pittsburgh cover the three and a half look at that same positive about the Steelers two more games Chicago Bears at the New York Giants yeah give me the stat I mean my note is I wish this was 1986 yeah 86 Bears 80 you know that that mid 80s Bears against the mid 80s Giants that would have been special Mm. instead it's 2022 Bears Giants we got the Giants favored by three in this one yeah two and one versus two and one by the way I know right (laughs) maybe it is 86 (laughs) Justin Fields has 297 passing yards in three games. Now, okay, one of them was in a rainstorm. Two and one. Yeah, and that's what the Chicago Bears fans are chanting in my mentions. Someone in YouTube said, quit letting a few people troll you and defining it's, it's, the fan it's base. It's quite a lot, though. It's, it's a lot of people. But this is your, that's like your And that's, your by the way, button. I was going to say, that's, yeah. that's only the people that I haven't yet muted. We've been through multiple rounds of this, and I've muted a large portion of Chicago people. So this is just the ones left over that are still populating my mentions. You must anyway. have muted all the 2018 fans. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So 19 times this season, a quarterback has thrown more than 297 passing yards in a single game. Joe Flacco has done it twice. Geno Smith has done it once. Um, this is a terrible level of like this is a historical level of ineptitude from the passing game. Okay, there have been some rushing plays in there but as you're well. Judging it by yards, it's not. I mean, pick your stat. He's got the worst passing grade in the NFL. I He's understand, got a passing grade but, of thirty-eight. But they're not throwing for two ninety-seven just because of an ineptitude. It's because they've dropped back sixty-five times. I mean, to me, that's the number as I'm looking at this. That's 
uh, an interesting one. 20 out of 65 dropbacks have resulted in a non-pass attempt. Yeah. Like, so this is the other a scramble thing. or a sack. They don't pass the ball very much. Half the time, not half the time, but a big chunk of the plays, they call passes. They're not passes because Justin Fields takes off or gets sacked. This is a bad offense that's just about clinging on because they've had a reasonable degree of rushing success. And anybody going, oh, two and one. Okay, one was a rainstorm game that we've, we said from day one, chuck it out. It means Throw nothing. It out. It means nothing to anybody. The other one, one was against the Texans. It means one and oh. That's what it means. It meant one and oh. Yeah, but the other one was against the Texans. Well, now they're going to play the Giants, and they're going to beat the Giants and move to three and one. I mean, and they might. Then what's your That excuse? won't mean anything either. Jonathan Taylor's back at practice, by the way. Man, you should have just played through it yesterday. If you're going to lose one That's practice. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, play through it. Yeah. Keep the streak alive. Also, by the way, what? Like, like Cal Ripken would have. Missed practice? Like, what? surely he could have just, you know, been there doing something. Yeah. Just like, to keep the streak. Like, you know, it's in a rep, so you're limited. Remember when Randy Moss had his, like, start streak and he was badly injured and they put him out there for, like, one snap just to keep the streak alive? Very important. Yeah. And then he realized, actually, no, you know what? I can't walk, so I'm going to – they shut him down after that. I mean, it's like signing the one-day contract. Yeah. Just but you show up. You could have put him out there, you know, given him a handoff, let him just sit down on the play, and then, oh, no, he's, he's out. But he would have kept the streak alive. So Justin Fields has a 43 overall grade, 38 – as a passer i think in all of this sam we haven't learned anything about justin fields i mean i I guess well we've learned that exactly what we predicted heading into the season is happening which is the bears do not have enough around him that he can do anything other than fail this year yeah the question is what do you do with that with that understanding i mean the context is tua for the first couple of years tua did not have a viable platform around him Therefore, any analysis of Tua was unfair to Tua. And we're learning that this year, right? All of a sudden, the situation around him is better. And he looks great. He doesn't just look better. He looks great. So if that's true, and that's the sort of impact that a viable slash non-viable situation around a quarterback can have, if you're Chicago, what do you get out of this season other than you junk it? You throw it out. It's another season you throw out. Let's throw out another season. Yeah, I mean, they're... It's a struggle offensively, and, and they're running the ball well. <laughs> I mean, they've got Khalil Herbert had a you know, great game last week. He's averaging over seven per carry. D- David Montgomery, when he was healthy, four and a half per carry. And uh, Fields is making a few plays on the ground, but it's not like he's tearing it up there. They're just relying on this run game and not trusting Justin Fields. And I, I, I know it might not be the best situation for him, but at some point you got to figure out what he is as a passer or let him develop as a passer. But, I, but again, it's so much of that. It's, it's a combination, right? It's, it's the offense is not calling very many pass plays. But there are so many plays where they are calling them and Justin Fields is not doing what he's supposed to be doing. No, I get it. Like, as I say, there was 31% of your dropbacks are ending in a sack or a scramble. I don't have the NFL average off the top of my head here, but it's way less than that. Yes. I mean, there was that play that I talked about on the review show where dropback pass attempt he held onto the ball for an age in a clean pocket and then had to scramble out of it by, you know, held on to it so long he got pressure and then had to run and scramble and make a play. It's like, okay, fine. That's a productive play for the offense. It goes down in the rushing numbers. It's fine. But that's a really bad process play for a quarterback that's supposedly, you know, trying to show that he can be the guy going forward. Like, Justin Fields does not look it right now. Now I want to find out this number. I'll do it later. I have that kind of time.
All right. Giants by three. Ugh. Say something about the Giants. Still don't know much about them either, I don't think. I was, I'll say this. Saquon Barkley does look awesome. Yeah. As far as like what he was. It, it's, not, it's not necessarily snap to snap awesome. It's... We, and we said it at the time, like, if I'm drafting a running back, that's the type of guy I want. A guy that, if you block it up, can take it to the house. And he can catch the ball out of the backfield. I love that asset that they have there. But Barkley would look that much better if the receiving core that they built, invested in, Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Tony, if they were I out just, there I and as understand. good as we thought they could be. I do not understand why the Giants cannot keep the receiving core that they've invested in on the field. This has been the story for multiple years now that – what looks like a pretty good group on paper, and certainly talent-wise, just doesn't play together ever. Look at their the number of their leading target getters um, across all positions this season. 21 targets for Sterling Shepard, who just blew out his ACL jogging to a stop during the game against Dallas. Um, Richie James Jr., 16 targets. That's number two. Saquon Barkley, 15 targets. That's number three. David Sills is their number four targeted receiver. Um, I know why you say it with that sort of emphasis. But not everybody does. Just saying. Is it not self-explanatory? He's not the best player. No. Yeah. No, he's not. I mean, look, David Sills had a play against the Cowboys where he just cut and fell over, and that pretty much sums up David Sills as a receiver. Um, so he's there. I'm saying he's got their fourth highest number of targets. Daniel Bellinger, the tight end, six. Like, they Kenny Galladay, the dude they're paying $72 million to, is sixth with five targets. Kadarius Toney, their first-round pick, who looks really talented, three targets and has barely seen the field. How is this so hard? I don't know. Who wins this game? Because whoever wins is the worst 3 and one team in NFL history. <laughs> this is the three, worst 3 and one NFL team. I, I might call for a tie because I don't think either team should be 3-1. and one. I think the Bears cover. I'm not willing to say either one of them wins the game. And listen, you might be a hater and think that I'm a hater, but when I called the Panthers the worst six and two team in history back in 2018, I was right because they ended up eight and eight. They ended up bad, yeah. you know, in no time. All right, last game: Los Angeles Chargers at the Houston Texans. The Chargers favored by five. The uh, man, Chargers. Speaking of uh, everybody's questionable, they, they've gone beyond that. They're like, no, everybody's out. I mean, we can the the hype wagon for the chargers you know the preseason champions the, the offseason champions every single year this is their season it's all going to come together i mean we're week three and we can finally bury that thing again like the grave has been dug the somebody's out there chiseling the the headstone the chargers hype wagon is it's over it's dead yeah but they're um, going to cover five against the texans <laughs> right I, maybe um i mean look justin herbert's still banged up actually on the injury report apparently uh, but the big thing is Rashawn Slater's down Storm Norton is our left tackle. I, this feels like the kind of game where they will quickly... Okay, they haven't yet picked up the phone to Eric Fisher and said, hey, can you show up? I mean, we might have a spot at left tackle for you. They will after this game. Jamari Sawyer, I think, might get the, pick, the, uh, the start here at left tackle. He's going to start at left tackle? Yeah. That's what we have in our depth chart per some reports with Trey Pipkins. I mean, I'm willing to say right that's tackle. a better option than starting Storm Norton at left tackle. Sawyer was, what, a sixth rounder this past yeah. year? Sixth rounder, built like a guard, actually had pretty productive grades as a left tackle for Georgia. I like that as an option. Uh, the other, so Joey Bosa is also out. Yep. And um, the interesting player replacing him is Chris Rumpf from Duke, who was kind of an undersized pass rusher, but like technically sound. He's bulked up a little bit. 
flashed a little bit this preseason. For whatever it's worth, I'll be I'll be excited to see him. But some of the big name signings too, like J.C. Jackson, hasn't done much at all um, so far this season. So the Sebastian Joseph Day is grading a little bit below average. The the some of the players that led to the Chargers hype. Not only are they banged up across the board, but some of their you know additions have not played very well. Yeah, and their receiving core has been an absolute mess and banged up. And yeah, the Chargers are they're cursed. The whole whatever the Rams are doing, you know, it's like hey, what what are they doing from a sports science and a medical standpoint? Like what what witchcraft is going on? You think on you there? could bug the Rams office and maybe you know they're in the same building, yeah, ish. Like, yeah. at least the same city, you know? Whatever about when they were the Rams trailers. Right. Whatever about when they were playing in San Diego, and you'd be like, okay, it's clearly wherever they've built this facility is just cursed. You moved to Los Angeles. You're right there where another team is somehow performing miracles relative to keeping guys injured, and you're still injury cursed. I mean, look, I'm not... It's probably too simplistic to draw a direct line between, hey, some guy tried to give a guy a, a painkilling injection and punctured his lung and the Chargers are constantly injured. That's probably too simplistic. Is he still there? Yeah, I think. I'm just saying, that's probably too simple. It's probably too direct a line to draw. But you're a simple guy. You're like a Jared Goff doesn't know where the sun sets type of guy, so. But it's probably, well, the only thing I would say is it's probably not unconnected, you know? There you go. There's probably some connection there, certainly when you compare it with the Rams and the fact that their sports science department somehow seems to keep everybody upright all the time. I thought the bigger issue last week was Herbert playing with the torn cartilage. Again, makes one out-of-this-world spectacular throw, missed a bunch of others, and just didn't seem right. I'm hoping he's healthier and looks a little bit better. I think they'll cover the five. I'm not giving up on the hype wagon here. There's still too much talent there. Still too much talent for Chargers. I need a few more weeks. On the road. Oh, God, I don't like it. I need a few more weeks here. All right, because you've, you've told me that Storm Norton isn't starting, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Such a Storm Norton hater. Dude, he gave up seven pressures in like 21 snaps. The guy's a train wreck. Well, that's why he's not starting. All right, that's it. Week four. That's it for our podcast this week. Done. Go check out yesterday, too. Preview Thursday Night Football. Um, we've got some people upset that we have not properly covered Monday Night Football the last mm. couple weeks. We might need to squeeze that back into the Wednesday show. Monday Night Football recap. <sighs> like, we got, there's, an ang- there's an angry email in there. Yeah. There's a guy who's like ready to bail. The, the purpose of the mailbag was not to send us angry emails. Don't send us angry emails. Constructive criticism, feedback, love it. <laughs> I will at least entertain it. But uh, don't be so mad, man. Just well, trying to do our best here. Well, angry people. Yeah. And uh, we hope you do your best by hitting that thumbs up button, YouTube. God, that's weak. Hit, smash the thumbs up button on the f- way out. Like that. Like this thing so we can, you know, that's go the first time you told them to hit the like thumbs up button and it's like two hours into this podcast. I know, I know. Everybody tell everyone else to hit the thumbs up. I mean, if we, if we have 20,000 views on this thing, we should have 20,000 likes. And then the, your heckler will give it a thumbs down. Yeah. Anyway, thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll be back on Monday reviewing all the week four action.